everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we are powering up because this one's for the gamers. All the gamers on the internet just raged at me for using that phrase. We're breaking out the D20 dice and also those classic Nintendo controllers and perhaps even a bag of Funyuns. Again, nerds are mad at me for the cliches. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are doing a double feature review in this week's episode. We're going to be covering Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, and the Super Mario Brothers movie. We'll start with a couple of icebreaker questions, the first of which is really just talking with me and Laron about our thoughts on Ben Affleck's new movie, Air. Before we jump into a spoiler-free review and verdict on Dungeons and Dragons, and then we'll move into a spoiler-free review and verdict on the Super Mario Brothers movie, and then we'll close out the conversation on what I like to think of as a Super Smash Brothers-style showdown, where we pick the movie that we're going to recommend to the listeners. If you only have one, which one do you pick? And joining me today, he's not a gamer, but he is my friend, and I'd like to think that one day we could play a co-op game together. I'm so excited to welcome award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker and my co-host on the Cinematic Schematic, Laurent Chapman. Laurent, welcome back, sir. What is it? What is Mario do? The Mamma Mia. <laughs> um, Can we take a shot every time this movie says Mamma Mia? <laughs> we trash. That's what the adults I need to yeah. do. Okay. I'm not a gamer, but I am an appreciate. I'm very much, you know, an appreciator of the 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 form and. And as of lately, we've been seeing some great things come out of games like The Last of Us on HBO. So um, I'm starting to open my mind to that that world. I definitely had um, some, you know, a relationship with it as a kid. Um, and so it's nice to kind of see how that's evolved over time in terms of, you know, s- cinematic adaptation. They burned through all the comic books. They realized the comic book market was was a <laughs> what's was the new frontier was heading heading to a dark place. So they said, "What's next? We gotta crack video games, guys!" <laughs> and thus we got the Super Mario Brothers movie. I am also super excited to welcome back. It's been way too long, frankly. Caleb Haldane, the host of the Red Six podcast, he's also super involved here in the Oklahoma's biggest convention, SoonerCon. Caleb Haldane, it's been since Godzilla versus Kong, sir. Way too been long. That long. Wow, that's way welcome too back. Long. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm really excited to uh, talk about both of these properties because uh, I I think I have a lot to say about both of them, um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's going to be a you know a pretty a fun trip of hitting nostalgia and you know something new. Yeah, I think that's the sweet spot. Can these movies both be nostalgic and something new at the same time? And can they do it in a form that is that makes for some compelling, what's the word, air quotes, cinema? Now, listeners, before we get to today's review, I wanted to note that if you're listening to the show and you're enjoying our conversation, please support us by subscribing and leaving us a rating and review on your preferred podcast app. You know, I've been rolling a lot of ones with the reviews i.e., I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons reference. I could really use some 20s or even a 15. You know, give me a four out of five <laughs> on on uh, either any of those platforms. I'll take it. Uh, again, that's the best way you can support the show. With that said, before we get into the topic at hand specifically, I wanted to, to pause and talk about a movie Laurent and I uh, both were able to see. I did get invited to go see Ben Affleck's new movie, Air. 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down, our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA All-Star shoe. 
There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. This is the film co-starring and directed by Ben Affleck about how Nike landed the deal with Michael Jordan's family for the Air Jordan shoes. And LaRon was, uh, you also joined in at this uh, press screening. And I, I just wanted to know, you know, it's not a video game, but basketball is a game. It is a game. So technically, <laughs> if you really wanted to twist it really far, you could say. Yeah. I, I think more than that, it's it's an it's a 90s nostalgic hit, right? Yeah, there you go. So I think I think actually these three movies do really uh, kind of live in a, in a similar sphere, even though they none of them really touch each other, you know? That's yeah. true, because they're yeah. all like, because yeah, Dungeons and Dragons was really, big, got, gained a lot of popularity in the 90s. Yeah, 80s and 90s for mm -hmm. sure. And then Mario, yeah. and then Michael Jordan. I mean. Yeah, all, all but, of them, you know, transitioned from the 80s to 90s, you know? Oh, man. See, yeah. synergy. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you want to talk about nostalgia, I mean, Air has got plenty of it. I want to turn to you here, sir. What did you think of Ben Affleck's new movie, Air? You know, this is the quintessential dad movie. And I, you know, and it's weird as I, I say that, you know, as a feature, not a bug, you know, surprisingly, because um, I really didn't have any interest in seeing this outside of the, the pedigree of the cast and people involved with it. Um, this is not a subject. I'm not a sports person by any stretch of the imagination. And so that I think is why the film works so well is because surprisingly there is um, there's a staggering um, lack of sports in this in this film, you know, but it's because it's not about sports. It's about, you know what I mean? It's it has the sports cliches like the kind of, you know, the kind of conventions you're used to seeing, like it's structured like the underdog sports movie. But um, the underdog sports movie set in corporate set America, in corporate America, Nike, where Nike is the underdogs that are like underplaying and have to like they gotta take down the Adidas, the big guys, the big, Adidas, exactly. And, uh, in some weird way, though, it works. You know, um, I think it's because the cast is so strong here. Um, you, you got a really diverse cast. Nice to see Chris Tucker back in a movie. He's Always. hilarious. Steals yes. a lot of scenes. You know, Jason Bateman's quite good. Viola Davis can't do anything wrong. Ben Affleck is somebody I don't necessarily love as an actor in dramatic roles, but is great in comedic roles or weird, wacky roles. And he's really, you know, great here as the CEO of. Um, yeah, that's director, uh, the CEO of Nike at the time, Phil Knight. Who, wear, who wears who's barefoot most of the movie, you know, which just counters against the product that he's selling. It's so, like, so Phil Knight, which, by the way, it's funny. You would think if you didn't know and you watched the movie, you're like, this guy is way too cartoon. There's no way this is Ben yeah. Affleck is totally chewing it up. He is chewing it up, but also everything that the movie puts in, like in terms of some of the, he has yeah. a weird hairdo. He drives a very purple car. He walks yeah. around barefoot, yeah. like all of these things. Yeah. Uh, he's got this weird, like Buddhist, like American, <laughs> yeah. Americans twist on Buddhism. All of that is uh, it's all, yeah. And it's weird. It's, it is, it is inspirational. It is like, um, it just, it's a good time. You know, it's real breezy. It kind of breezes by the comedy's real loose. The, like I said, the cast is strong. You know, so it's like whether you're a sports fanatic or an avid fan or you're not really into sports or what have you, it's just a good comedy. You know what I mean? And so and the cast is really strong again. So I had a good time with this. You know, I mean, this I think I gave this four stars and that's it's very surprising for if you told me this on paper, what it was about, I would say not for me. But um, it really does kind of win you over, you know, and you do feel bad for the corporate America that can't make a score and. I think it's because they lean on characters in this and even the essence of Michael Jordan 
he's never really seen. We, yeah, that's the thing. He's never Michael yeah. Jordan. Like they, you never see his face no. in the movie. Other than they, they do play like yeah, actual some footage of, of Michael Jordan, right. but then you never see an actor playing Michael Jordan. Yeah, there's someone there, but they they, they only get sides of his face because it's really not about Michael Jordan. It's, it's about, about the idea of, of what he Jordan. is and what he represents, and they cap how they're capitalizing on that and how that right. revolutionized. You know, um, the marketing for their shoes, you know, because, you know, before that, you know, they were they were kind of swimming in the, you know, the deep end. And and, you know, now, you, I mean, Jordans to this day are like if you have a pair, you know what I mean? The, you know how much you shelled out for it, you know, so it's definitely um, uh, kind of an inspirational story in that way. So. Yeah, so you're really positive. I'm also very positive. I won't. I'll try to try to hit on some things differently than you did. I, I did want to call out Matt Damon is is technically the lead as mm -hmm. Sonny Vaccaro, the guy who is actually trying to win a deal with um, Michael Jordan. More specifically, Michael Jordan's mom, as played by Viola Davis, uh, really is is she's like sort of the alpha in the family. And uh, yeah, no, I think you hit it well. The performances are great. This is a great comedy. It's super funny. I didn't realize it was going to be this funny when I went into it. But man, there is some just like we were laughing quite a bit, quite a bit. There's a lot of one liners. Chris uh, Messina uh, as David Falk, who is Michael Jordan's agent, has yeah. some of the best phone acting I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah, on the phone shouting. <laughs> just shouting obscenities and, uh, it, and clearly is having a great time. That's the thing. Every actor here seems you can tell they're having a great time, but they're so good at their job. It's not like it, like the fact that they're having a good time is a feature. You're like, but you still believe this is what the characters are doing. Yeah. A couple of small nitpicks, I would say. I didn't think it was possible, but <laughs> yeah. there are probably just as many, if not more needle drops than 2016's Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah. I, and I didn't think that was possible. Yeah. And uh, like every scene, it's like you get 15 every seconds transition. of every 80s song from yeah. that time is in this movie. It's about a million a minute. It's <laughs> in so terms many. Of the number of 80s songs that are featured in this. I was like, man, I want to see that. And at the end, when the credits roll, you look at every single, I'm like, man, this is expensive. So many. All that music licensing is going to be, yeah, expensive. The movie is, uh, allegedly budgeted between 70 and 90 million dollars i want to say 20 million must have been <laughs> just <soundtrack>. music just <laughs> music yeah uh i also just wanted to call out the yeah you you referenced it earlier the overuse of nostalgia the movie goes out of its way several times to be like remember the 80s yeah <laughs> let's 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 zoom in on all this 80s technology and 80s stuff this product and this and this mm -hmm. yeah exactly and you know i don't mind i really don't mind some of that yeah. especially they establish it at the beginning of the movie they have a whole montage kind of like setting the tone mm -hmm. i was like oh that's appropriate so now yeah. we know where we're at and there's probably a lot of people who are seeing this movie who either weren't around in the 80s or were very young in the 80s so it's kind of a good way to kind of all right this is the world we're in yeah. it's a very different place where air jordans aren't dominating the marketplace. Yeah. But there's, they don't just do it at the beginning though. They do it yeah, they throughout the, the movie. Yeah, the whole time. Oh yeah, and it's, it's a little like, obnoxious. I agree. Uh, it doesn't ruin the movie any, by any way, but it's just one of those like, it. you know, we're going to talk about this with the, Mar the Mario movie, but the remember this, the member berries from <laughs> yeah. South Park reference. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And I, and I really thought Air was so good it didn't need that to be successful. I concur. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and the last thing I'll say about it is also they kind of establish stakes, surprisingly, even in the realm of this more personal stakes for sure. Oh yeah. But about with each character about what is at stake with, you know, putting everything on the line for one player who isn't even interested in being here. You're the third choice and he doesn't even like your product, but then believing in the person and, you know, and, and who he was as a player, Michael Jordan, this enigmatic like figure that we, everyone kind of, kind of could even then at that time can kind of, 
you know, f- you know, feel that his aura, how how powerful the presence he had, um, but we never knew just how how long his legacy was going to be. So, seeing all the characters, you know, kind of taking, you know, these huge risks, you know what I mean, to, you know, to make a stake in that, and knowing not knowing if it was going to, you know, they're going to sink or swim, you know, really does make us care about these individuals, even in these in this corporate realm. You know? Right. I mean, because their career, they are all putting, yeah. they're taking, they're all taking unprecedented risks. Yeah. If and he says no, they're gonna, they're like, all gonna like, lose like their a lot jobs. of people are losing their jobs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, including the CEO. You know, yeah. at one point. So I, you know, the thing I'll I'll add to that is, how do I know this is a great movie? Because at the end of the day, when you boil it down just on paper, the movie is telling the story of can they give Michael Jordan a boatload of cash? That's that's the question. That's literally the yeah. premise of the movie. Are these going to be the guys who get to do it? But they are able to dramatize it in a way through some really great writing, some great performances in a way where you kind of get lost in the story and you're like, oh, man, like I, I'm feeling this. And you kind of forget for a, just even just for a minute. You're like, wow. Yeah. Well, we know they're going to be successful. Yeah. Right. I, the other thing I will say, and, and this is probably, you know, some people have criticized this already as being a Nike commercial. I really didn't think of it this way. But I will say is I personally, as a person like yourself, who is not a basketball person. I mean, I know of Michael Jordan. I've watched The Last Dance. Uh, it's a tremendous <laughs> uh, documentary series. But I didn't realize that proceeds from the shoes weren't going back to players before this. So apparently, just I just assume because that's the thing. They set the precedent where mm-hmm. the shoes, every shoe sold under Air Jordans went to the player. That was a fascinating re- revelation mm-hmm. at this. This is where that started, you know? Yeah. That, and there was like a bunch of the rules, like they were like, oh, you can only have so much red on a shoe because yeah. it breaks some sort of NBA rule. And I was like, I had no idea. So so they really did like swing for the fences, yeah. you know, with, with this deal. And now you look at shoes now, you can see how flamboyant, the now the more colorful lime green purple whatever you know what i mean like it's it's it is very interesting to see where that where that all started so uh you said you gave it four stars what would be your letter grade if you were going to throw it oh i'm gonna i think i would go with an a minus on this i actually really it has a lot of replayability like i'm actually excited to rewatch it you know to see if the comedy holds up um but yeah it, it feels like that kind of thing that you could put on in the middle of the afternoon and at any point and just start enjoying at any point of it so yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you in A minus, and it's it's one. Uh, it is exclusively in theaters right now, and I do highly recommend you see it on the big screen if you can find the time. But the other thing I'll say about it is this is um really unique because Amazon is actually the studio distributing the movie, and they are uncharacteristically giving it a full theatrical run before it arrives on Amazon Prime Video. Yeah. So it'll be on Amazon Prime Video uh, probably in a couple months. But I just want to reiterate, like it's worth seeing in the theater, and I'm also want to applaud Amazon. Prime Video for for unlike Netflix for actually approaching this more traditional model because I think all of the hype this movie gets from the theatrical is going to drive viewability. I know I can't wait to show this movie to like two or three different people, including my dad. Yeah, so, including dad. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I, I'm right there with you. A minus. Highly recommend. Well, we talked a lot before oh. we move on from it. I do have to say I've, I've got a bone to pick with the trailer. Okay, and. Right. They, they drop like they showcase this one joke like it's so funny and it doesn't actually work and which is the like you want to drop this amount of money on a rookie who's never set his foot on the floor and he's like that's the definition of a rookie that's not the definition of a rookie but anybody within their first year of playing is a rookie <laughs> you can step foot on the floor and be a rookie so it's like they, they hinge this whole moment in the trailer on this one joke that doesn't actually work falls quite flat actually if you're talking to any sports fan yeah that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> and 
Still and I didn't catch it. I didn't catch it because I'm not a sports person. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know that's a that is a trailer joke, and yeah. it, it doesn't super land. This movie's so much funnier than that. Tra- I, that the trailer, yeah, was, I would hope so. The I way th- you guys are talking about it, I'm getting that vibe. There's no way that the joke that they showcase in the trailer could no, be that's, what. Yeah, that's like the, a yeah. very minimal a like, throwaway. Right? And I thought yeah. the trailer was charming, but this movie is hilarious in a way that I did yeah. not expect. Yeah, that's okay. good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's move on to our icebreaker question. It's a little more inclusive since, you know, Caleb's actually seen the movies. And today I'm having a little bit of fun. We're doing something, some sort of video game Mad Libs. You can come so, off the bench now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're done talking sports ball. Instead of posing a more general question, I want all of us to provide a video game franchise that you think should be adapted to the big screen, along with a director and a movie star attached to the project. For example... I'm not suggesting, this is not my pick, but so for example, just so people understand what I'm asking for, I want to see a Sonic movie directed by George Miller starring Tom Holland. I'll go first with my my first one, and then we'll kind of go round robin until we run out of uh, ideas. Control, a hit PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 game directed by Nicholas Winning Refn starring Megan Elizabeth Winstead. I would pay a lot of money to see that movie. Yeah. Um, you could also go with David Lynch, but I feel like he's the obvious choice with that with that game. The, the game feels so David Lynch influenced that I, that's too obvious. So let's go with Refn, who uh, you know, most famously he did Drive, uh, Only God Forgives, uh, Neon Demon. Yeah. yeah, a whole bunch of you know. Yeah. Also Lynch inspired type aesthetics. I actually I actually don't think Lynch is a good call, but just because like when he deals in time, everything breaks down in a way that like is not conducive to mm-hmm. it being like a major story driving point. Right. Like, yeah, I think control needs that, that time aspect, um, so much that I actually don't think Lynch would be a good pick. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause my first, when I was playing the game, I was like, yeah, this feels Lynch. So Christopher There's Nolan then. He knows about time. He does time better than Lynch. I, I think. But see, he can't do that one because there's not a dead wife in that game. So unfortunately <laughs> he would add one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it stars a woman, he would find a way to. Right, a dead yeah. Wife. yeah. Okay. All right. Lauren <laughs> Chapman. Yes. What is your pick here? Or your first your first pitch? You know, it's funny you said David Lynch, because I'm going with Silent Hill, uh, directed by David Lynch. I think he would have a good hold on the abstraction of that world, and I yeah. think it would be... But I don't have a star, because I can't really think of... I didn't play the game, to be fair. I mean, I've seen Chris people, Pratt, generic guy. There Chris, you go. Chris Pratt. Generic guy plays lead in this, but either way, <laughs> it won't matter, because it'll be David Lynch, and it's going to be all about what you're looking at, not the people in it. But... Um, I thought that was one one example. Then the other one would be The Sims, any any version of it, directed by Wes Anderson. Oh, that's good. I think he could play that. And, and starring all of Hollywood. Stay, starring every, it, the, the Asteroid City yeah. trailer that just came out this last week just told me apparently he can cast anyone in Hollywood at any time. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Wes Anderson, The Sims, starring everyone. Everyone. Okay. <laughs> so. All right. Caleb Haldane, what is one of your selections? Um, I, I'm going to go with... Hollow Knight, uh, done in like stop motion style with Tim Burton. Oh, but I, I'm, can I can I can I like yeah fund this movie? Like <laughs> I would pay a lot of money to see that. And and I'm, I've got uh, different takes on it, right? So if you want to go like comedy lighthearted, I think Josh Gad as your main yep. guy. Okay. Um, I think if you just want to play it like a real straight, like kind of PG thirteen ish, then I would go Elijah Wood. Ooh, um, that's great. And but yes. if you wanted to make it real dark and kind of more adult themed, you stay in the same kind of universe as Elijah Wood, but Andy Serkis. 
I think he could do a dark version of Hollow Knight very oh, well. Oh yeah. yeah, brooding, dark. Yeah, exactly. This is just a great. That's a great because because listen, listeners, if you haven't played Hollow Knight, what are you doing with your life? It is an amazing <laughs> game. It's really freaking hard though, <laughs> but it's really good. That's a great that that whole is built around like kind of that gothic aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Oh man, Tim Burton. That's a that's a winner. Holy cow. <laughs> oh man. All right. So I'm gonna go my next one. Horizon Zero Dawn, directed by the Wachowskis, starring Emma Stone. I know, I went for the redheaded actress. I couldn't help myself, but I love <laughs> Emma Stone. That's a good one. That's a good one. I we like, like Wachowskis, yeah. and uh, I think the Wachowskis have a really good grasp of sci-fi, and but also understand character uh, pretty well. So I think that you really need both of those things. High concept sci-fi, plus a really uh, solid grasp on characters that sort of thematically align with the story they're telling. So I feel like they would are uniquely qualified for a Horizon Zero Dawn movie. Unfortunately, it's probably not going to happen because they are still at this point broken up as Yikes. individual yeah. Wachowski right. uh, siblings. Mm. But maybe one day I can yeah. dream. Yeah, it, but, it's, it's funny that you like you talk about characters and Wachowskis because I always think of their characters as like very uh, – Wooden and, and and shallow uh, to an extent. Oh, they, okay. Caleb, are you are you questioning? Hot I, no, oh, hot I, I actually think that makes for a great video game character, though. Yeah, mm. because video game characters are supposed to be the avatar for you, right? Yes. Like, so they typically are a little bit like that. I actually think they would be insanely good at doing a video game movie mm. because of that. Yes. So. Yeah, that, you know, I, I don't want to fight with you too much. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I, yes, I'm glad we agree on that. Yeah. I will say. Maybe and this maybe just this speaks to my my flavor of character work. I like intimate character dramas that are pure character, but I also feel like the thing I like about the Wachowskis is they're able to write characters that represent ideas, but also still feel enough like they're a human enough that I can relate to them. You know, I mean, we see this in the Matrix, obviously, but even Cloud Atlas, it's like, oh, these are real people. Clearly, they're they're using these characters to communicate a specific idea yeah. or philosophy or, 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 or worldview. I guess I don't mean shallow. I mean like their characters are so tentpole right? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. They're cliche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, to your point, yeah, which actually is very which good. actually kind of works in a video game. Bad guy, good guy. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. archetypal. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, then we can have Laurent Chapman. Do you have any other picks? Oh man, I think I've run out. That's that is where I draw the line. David Lynch and uh, Wes Anderson is where I draw the line. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, Caleb, do you have any other ones? I don't either. <laughs> oh man, I was the one who got obsessed with this game. Yeah. Okay, God of War, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Jason Momoa. And I'm gonna go. I, I did this because if you've played the God of War games, you know that there's a massive shift after God of War in the continuity and the type of story they're telling after God of War three. Between God of War 3 and God of War 2018. And I think Jason Momoa could play both sides. The first one, the first three games are pure revenge flick. We actually talked about this in our John Wick Chapter 4 review. Pure revenge flick. There's not a lot to it other than that. He he really hates him some gods and he wants to kill him. <laughs> and then there's a big shift uh, in 2018 God of War where he all of a sudden is old, uh, is regretful, and has a son he's trying to bring into the world to have a happier life than he was able to have. I think Jason Momoa has the capacity to do both of those. And he's big and muscly, so, you know, there's that. Red Dead Redemption, directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. That one actually felt like a little hanging fruit, but, you yeah. know, I think Leonardo DiCaprio actually would be a really good John Marsden. Like, he's got that old, grizzled look uh, to him. He's got the cynic. He can play the cynicism really well, but you also still kind of like has that 
something about him that you just relate to, even though he's probably not a great guy. And, you know, Quentin Tarantino has proven he's very capable of Westerns and quite likes Westerns. I know we're only going to get one more Quentin Tarantino movie, allegedly, and it's definitely not going to be Red Dead Redemption. But And it's definitely not going to be Kill Bill Volume 3, but <laughs> well, whatever. It's definitely not going to be that Star Trek movie that he was working on at one point, allegedly. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just want to call it out because that would be pretty cool. And last up, <laughs> most importantly, <laughs> let me ask you guys, do either one of you remember the video game from the PS2, Xbox, GameCube generation? 50 Cent, Blood in the Sand? <laughs> no. Does no one remember this? No. Oh, 50 Cent, man. You guys remember 50 Cent, though, right? Oh, yeah. The rapper? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. No, yeah. yeah. 50 Cent had a video game called Blood in the Sand, and it was awful. But I would love to see 50 Cent. I don't even know what he's doing, if he's even alive. I think I heard he got arrested for some stuff. I don't know. He's still here. But yeah, he's uh, he's, he's got gotta, he's gotten some trouble. Okay, so he can get out of trouble by by writing, directing, and starring in a film adaptation of his awful, awful, awful video game, Fifty Cent Blood on the Sand. Listeners, what video game do you want adapted to the big screen? Oh wait, wait, Leron. I think one just came to me. Street Fighter. Okay. Directed by, um, oh God, uh, he, um, God, the show, the um. Reservation Dogs. Uh, Sterling Harjo? Nope, nope, nope. Um, the other one, the producer. Um, oh! Taika Waititi. Taika yeah, Taika Waititi. Taika Street Water, Street Fighter, directed by him, starring, oh God, every meathead actor. <laughs> and, 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 that yeah. could be a lot of fun. That could be fun. Yeah. I can Waititi. see the quirkiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like that's a silly a silly game, but it's, you know, Mortal yeah. Kombat, we've already kind of gotten a couple versions of that. I think so. Street Fighter leans more into the quirkiness than Mortal Kombat, though. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and I, I, while you were talking about one, one just popped in my head, and now I, I, I can't not think of it. Uh, SSX Tricky, <laughs> done by John Hughes, <laughs> as a like we need to save the uh, ski hill. The ski hill, oh, man. yeah, yeah. You know, done that way. The corporate America is yeah. coming to destroy the ski hill. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'd play it. I'd watch it. Judd Nelson, bring him back. Yeah. <laughs> Judd Nelson comes back. He's the corporate overlord. Bring yeah. him in. <laughs> That's good. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think you're going to be able to top any of these picks. I, I know There's I'm no saying way. presumptuous, but if you think you can, send your pitch to me at thecinematropolis at gmail.com. I want to hear from you, and you'll have a chance to have those uh, ideas read on the show. With all that said, let's jump into the first film we're covering today, which is Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Here's the thing. We're a team of thieves. And when you do this, you're bound to make enemies. Sometimes those enemies come looking for revenge. be told we help the wrong person steal the wrong thing we didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known but we're gonna fix it so how do we pull that off uh figure it out over a drink probably best according to imdb dungeons and dragons honor among thieves is described as a charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embarks on an epic quest to retrieve a lost relic, but things go dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people. 
There's a lot of a words in that IMDb description. <laughs> a couple of fun facts about this movie you might not know, listeners. This movie was directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan, Jonathan Goldstein. Uh, this is something I didn't realize. Their last movie was 2018's Game Night, which, by the way, is a wildly underrated comedy from that year. Mm-hmm. Check it out. It's a great movie. Another thing, as a box office prognosticator, I watch it. I have no real stake, but I'm always curious because how things perform tend to indicate what's coming uh, in the pipeline in two to three years. Despite this movie, so, so great news is this movie made a lot of money at the box office. I say a lot. It overperformed on the expectations. So it was originally projected to make $30 million on the high end, but it actually came in at $38.5 million, which is good. However, the movie has a $150 million plus a large marketing budget to cover before it breaks even. So even though I think it's it's weird kind of watching like the headlines in general is like, hey, this movie's doing great, but you're like, uh. It was made for quite a bit. It's, it's pretty expensive. I mean, $150 million is not, uh, it's not nothing. It, it's not, you know, Avengers Endgame money, but it's also not right. nothing. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty expensive. Like it'll probably make its money back, but it, yeah, it's not going to be. Will it make enough to get a sequel is the big question. Yeah. And I think it needs to make around uh, 400 to 450 before we can even have that conversation. And this that- is this is where I'm going to disagree with you. Like, I don't think that they, I think they just needed to break even to justify a sequel here because they really just needed to make sure that Dungeons and Dragons is solvent. Right. Right. They don't they didn't like the brand and like the people who will see it. That part is baked in. They just needed to see if they could break. They show up, right? Yeah, yeah. And now they can, they they can like. It's Build I think it's it. all but a guarantee they're going to break even, right? Like when the streaming contracts come in and stuff, like they're they're going to break even. Um, and so yeah, I think that will be enough uh, to allow them to to greenlight a sequel. It doesn't necessarily mean it's guaranteed sequel, but I do think that they didn't need to make money like some other. Uh, it, it would be like now if a Marvel movie. Broke yeah. even. It, okay. This is more of an, an, an well, it is an IP, but I mean, it's exactly. But it is proof a, of concept. Yeah. It, it, I mean, and to your point, this is Dungeons and Dragons, which is and actually both Dungeons and Dragons and the Mario movie. These are you, there's a couple different ways to look at it. The very hyper cynical businessy way to look at it is these are just really expensive commercials for the stuff. So yeah. to your point, if they sell more books, yeah. if they get enough people in the butts and seats, they've proven that people will show up. Right. They'll feel comfortable. Investing in more sequels. Right. Yeah. At this point, they they want to see if they can launch off their own cinematic universe, right? And I think that they didn't they didn't have the same restrictions that Marvel did at the time, where it was like, you need to make money with Iron Man. Yeah. This movie did not need to make money, but it could not lose money. Okay. Yeah. So now it'll be interesting to see because it's about it's about gonna probably break even. I think I'm I'm confident it'll break even definitely on the budget. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if it's going to break even on budget plus marketing, which is quite expensive. Oh, it's true because it does have a, a huge marketing. Yeah, like yeah. I, it was. It, it had its world premiere at South by Southwest. Yeah. That doesn't come cheap. Yeah. Um, and there was a huge marketing yeah. campaign around that. Yeah. yeah, and they've and again, I actually think the advertising for this movie has been like exceptional. Yeah. if I'm being honest, it's been everywhere. Yeah, I thought. In fact, I was a little oversaturated with it. Totally, it, like leading they, up to it, they've been marketing this movie for three, four years, something like that. Yeah, they've been talking about. It. Well, the actual marketing campaign really kicked off. I, they had like they had a Super Bowl ad. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like they've been going pretty hard. And right. here's the thing, I will say, the trailer was so good, I actually was skeptical of this movie coming in, because you ever see, you know, yeah. LeBron, you, I mean, yeah. all of us, we've all seen. Where you see a movie where the trailer has all the jokes in it, or it has yeah, all yeah. the best moments, and you're like, 
and you show up and you're like, wow, that was the whole movie. I didn't even need to come see this. Mm-hmm. I was terrified going in because I actually thought the trailers were great. I laughed my way through all of them. Yeah. And it had just the right amount of everything. Coming into this, I was very, very skeptical because <laughs> the trailer's too good. Um, quick, other couple quick notes. I just want to note for listeners. Uh, this is actually the second Dungeons and Dragons film mm-hmm. to get a theatrical release. Oh, did, third. Did, this, did the sequel? I thought they were both directed DVD. Okay, you're, you're right. The sequel of the 2000 There's Dungeons and Dragons. There is two sequels, but the, 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 the third movie in that franchise was definitely direct. I kind of thought the second movie was in theaters. Wikipedia, which, oh, yeah. I, of course, my friend Wikipedia, which is a very reliable source that we all trust, right? Um, says that it was sh- straight to DVD, but, you know, I... Okay, okay. it could be. I, like, I, I'm just going from memory, not even No, no, source. but you might, you might be right. So, <laughs> listeners, you can correct me, and if Caleb, if you remember seeing it, man, I'm not going to argue I with didn't you. see it. I just I thought I remembered seeing trailers for it, but it could have been trailers direct to DVD. Mm-hmm. So, there was a film we definitely know 100% yeah. was theatrically released in 2000. Yeah. The only actor in it you probably know is Jeremy Irons, Irons, who played a mage. And you know what? He's the one guy in that cast who understood. I feel like understood the assignment and showed up. Uh, but you know, it's a it's a, actually Caleb. Caleb's making a lot of faces. <laughs> I, I, I am. Caleb, I, am. Um, I I haven't watched this movie in literally twenty years. You tell I me. decided to watch it before the D and D movie because I was like, how bad is it? Is it as bad <laughs> as I remember? It might be worse than I remember. Oh no! Yeah, oh, no. and Jeremy Irons like. Yeah, he's he's acting, but it's just like he's acting to a like a static camera and it's just it just doesn't do anything. It, yeah. it feels like you're out at Hafer Park recording somebody on a stage, that kind of acting. Mm. It does not feel at all like his best caliber work. And not and I don't know how much of it's his fault and a lot well, of it is like framing and staging issues, but it is definitely makes him look this alone on an island type of weird mm. acting going on. It's not good. No, I it's was rough. Thirteen when I saw it. I, I I was one of those things I rented from Blockbuster. So and and you know if a thirteen year old watches it and says <laughs> you know what I mean? Like normally, yeah. you know, you're you're not as harsh of a critic at that age. You know what I mean? Like so, normally, like, you'll accept anything if it's entertaining. But I remember not liking it then. So, I Marlon got, Wayne's is in it. Marlon right? Wayne's. Oh is gosh! So yeah. you said recognizable so, yeah. people. There's there are two, two people in there. Two. two people. The main actor guy. I don't. I I can picture him, but I have no idea who that guy is. Like why? Why did they not? Like if they're going to get Jeremy Irons and Marlon Wayne's, why didn't they actually go with a real deal? Yeah, well, that's too. what I'm wondering too. Justin Whalen is the lead okay. actor, but I, that's what I'm saying. If you're able to get <laughs> a couple of name actors, yeah, were they hoping the? Ne- I mean, I know some movies do this sometimes. Where you, you you put all your budget into a supporting actor to then get more funding, mm-hmm. um, okay. you know? Because so so basically, once you can cast a, a star. known star, even in like a one scene role, right. it automatically adds value some, sure. to the the to the film. So if you're desperate for funding. You cast, you find some dude to, to come in who yeah. everyone knows, and then you can sell the movie for a lot more money or recruit other actors. You're that like, makes sense. Hey, but I mean, Jeremy Irons and Marlon Wayans and the, uh, yeah, I mean. In, in, in 2000. It's not like, like they were like giant movie stars then. Stars, yeah. yeah. Marlon Wayans was, was at the height of his career. In was that uh, <laughs> scary movie during that time? Was or was that after? Or was I think that it before? was technically after, but it Probably. was the, it was but the same like time right frame. around there. Yeah, yeah, same time frame. Yeah. Okay, so I'll one, I'm not going to one up you, Laron, but I will say, guys, I've never seen the actual actual Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> as it was 
uh, intended to be seen. I saw it on the Sci-Fi Channel. Oh yeah, oh. edited for TV, oh. uh, and well. probably I don't know when somewhere between two thousand three and two thousand five. Okay. So I have never. I, that is that really doesn't count. I don't um, think it's gonna change. Anything. No, I don't. I don't know that there's much editing going on there. Yeah. Uh, oh, the CG in that film is so, so bad. bad too. It's we, so bad. I watched it at a Flicks brew house and they had a pre-show and they were playing a bunch of clips from that Earth movie and man, it was a it was a hoot oh, watching yeah. the old movie. Yeah. Um. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, the, uh, the first theatrically released Dungeons and Dragons movie was 2000. And as you can see, you, you can hear it had quite some staying power in our memories. <laughs> <laughs> and last note, I'm just going to make for listeners because I do think there's probably some people listening to this show who are like, I've heard of Dungeons and Dragons. I kind of like, I think I understand kind of what it is. Well, just so you know, Dungeons and Dragons is a tabletop role-playing game and has existed in one form or another since at least the 1970s. Honestly, it, it almost certainly predates that, but I think that's when they actually put like TM on the idea of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So the original Dungeons and Dragons isn't an actual collectible game because it came out in leaflets um, as part of what's called Greyhawk, which was uh, a, a totally different game. And this was uh, Gary Gygax's like uh, way to do fa a fantasy version of war games because war games have been kind of popular. Think like when I say that, like Axis and Allies and Risks type things, but but on like a table, right? They they liked that idea, but everything was kind of the modern lens, and they wanted to do a fantasy lens. And so this Greyhawk book came out, and then they had these ways of doing it without the miniatures, mm -hmm. and that was Dungeons and Dragons. But it was like a leaflet that was in this other book right and wow. then it came out in other books the other leaflets as compendiums so it wasn't until it got its own first edition run that it is what the what we think of today as like a book game right mm -hmm. and before that it was just a loose set of rules in another game well and the, i remember what's funny the thing i even early on because i didn't start playing dungeons and dragons i i guess i dabbled in it in high school a little bit but it wasn't until college i had some friends uh, my college friends who were really into it and i started playing a lot more but uh i did notice very popular amongst like marines and people in the military which so that makes sense that, like given the origins it makes yeah, sense yeah, why yeah, it would yeah. be very popular in those yeah. groups yeah for sure because they were tapping those people because they were the ones playing the modern versions of this war games right and so that was the community that that birthed dungeons and dragons so it totally makes sense that you those were the types that were playing it back then mm -hmm. yeah man Ah, oh, gosh. Guys, uh, okay, Leron, let me just turn to you here. I mean, clearly, Caleb and I have played it. I'm going to dive a little more into your history here, Caleb. But, Leron, yeah. what is your relationship with Dungeons & Dragons? Um, you know, I, I knew of its existence and its popularity, um, but I, I never played it. You know, I watched, you know, like, again, the previous adaptation of the film. Um, but in terms of the actual, like, the game of it, you know, um, I knew of how enthusiastic people were about it, um, but I was never converted to it, you know, and it's not, not because it's like, it's just not my thing, but just, just for whatever reason, you never, um, never got involved with it. But, you know, that's, that to me made watching this film very exciting because then I'm going into it a little bit blind and I do know generally that it's kind of a, I don't want to say pick your own adventure sort of thing, but basically there's not really like, the concept is that every each decision makes a different, you know, it has a different um, outcome, you know. So, um, and I think that that is translated very well 
in the film. You know, that kind of um, spontaneity, uh, don't know where we're going. You have a certain set of skills. You're not really great at it, but somehow it always works out for you. You know, and I thought that was played played really nicely. So certainly like a randomness. That you yeah, see the, the randomness is mm-hmm. definitely is executed very well in the film because mm-hmm. they're like a band of misfits that don't. Some are really good at what they do, and then some are like, yeah, I mean, I can do this thing, but not good. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh man. So Caleb, give us the rundown. What is your experience with Dungeons and Dragons? So I remember hearing about it real young and being interested in it, but then like just as that time happens, Satanic Panic happens. Yep. Yeah. And it it scares me away. Like I don't play this game because I hear like you know if your character dies in game, you're going to be so attached, you're going to commit suicide. Like I heard that, and I was like, that's going to happen to me. I'm that's going to be me. So for so for the listeners who maybe are uninitiated, some of them which who are probably maybe perhaps even younger. Satanic Panic. Give us a very short blurb on it. Ugh. So this is, of course, I'll, like... I'll try. It's, yeah. it's kind of a mouthful here, though. Uh, so the Satanic Panic happens when uh, a couple deaths that happened around the country try to get linked to Dungeons & Dragons from kind of the, like... Uh, Christian right for some reason. And in both of these two cases, one in Texas and one in Michigan, I think, they are like very much not related, right? The one in Michigan, it's it's a sad case about a guy who's uh, in college, who's struggling uh, probably with a mental disorder that's undiagnosed and is just really struggling, not having a good time, commits suicide. And they find out later that he played Dungeons Dragons uh, with some friends down in what they call the steam tunnels. And so this sounds so mysterious, right? It ends up not being very mysterious. The steam tunnels ended up just being a place underground in campus where a lot of the boilers were. It, 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 it wasn't like, it wasn't like this cave that like, I remember hearing about this and like the way that people talked about it was like they played in these caves and these tunnels and no, it was just, a, it was just the boiler room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, that was sad. Like, but it has nothing really like, even though he played it, it had nothing, his death had nothing to do with that. It really was likely an undiagnosed mental disorder. The one in Texas, it's even crazier because it has to do with drugs and like people like really kind of getting mixed up in crowds that they shouldn't have been in. And for some reason, out of all of this, it's not the drugs or the weapons or any of that. It's Dungeons and Dragons that killed these kids. And it has nothing to do with it. Like they right. they might have played, but it definitely wasn't a big part of of these people's uh like social status or, or what they did. It was just this thing that they might've done once or twice, you know, it's, it's reminiscent. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a few years younger than you. So I would say the thing that comes to mind when you describe it that way for me would be how, um, not trying to paint a certain group of people a certain way, but let's just say a certain Christian, right. Tried really (laughs) hard to to say that Columbine was caused by doom and uh, punk rock music, uh, you know, things like that. Yeah. Like that, that was looking like it was going to go down the same same path, right? Where we were going to start scapegoating doom and video games for other woes in children's lives. Right. But that really happened with Dungeons and Dragons right? and Dungeons and Dragons didn't take it seriously. The video game industry took it seriously and they went to the sentence and like, Hey, let's, let's self-govern. Let's figure this out. You know, we don't want to end up like that. But D and D was like kind of mocking these people sounds appropriate on brand. <laughs> it is it is appropriate and on brand, but it didn't do them any justice because there was a following and a backing to this movement, and they weren't taking it seriously. They weren't 
being litigious, like they really should have been going after these news organizations that were getting facts wrong. But instead they were like, ah, that's so funny. Like, you know, and they thought free publicity. And for a while that was the case, but eventually, boom, they, the over like a course of 15 years, they really ended up just going to like bottom barrel sales, just barely keeping alive. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the creator didn't get to keep it. He had to sell to, uh, you know, keep solvent himself. And he ends up selling, uh, there was two creators. One ends up selling to Gary Gygax and then Gary Gygax eventually ends up selling it to wizards of the coast mm -hmm. who at the time, uh, their only product was magic, the gathering, but, uh, no, magic, the gathering was doing very well. And so. then they have like a little empire on this sort of yeah. like uh, cold, uh, kind of like niche, uh, well now Hasbro owns wizards of coast and it's kind of, uh, you know, tough to tell like yeah. where the corporate lines start and where the nerddom starts. But there is definitely, uh, pressure on these this wizards of the coast now to to profit over making the games that they loved in the past i'm really glad you called out the satanic panic i, I wasn't even thinking about that when i asked when, you know i put this question here but i i it had really long running impacts i remember when i started playing yeah. in the in the two, early 2000s i was in high school i had a friend invite me over and i was like i can't tell my parents that i'm playing <laughs> this i think they probably would have been okay with it but i didn't know yeah and i was like well i don't want them to like tell me i can't play this right but and there because there was it was still because of all the the coverage and media they'd gotten right still really shaped how i think a lot of people thought about dungeons and dragons yeah, like you must absolutely. be dabbling with like devil worship or right, something if right, you play this game right um or witchcraft of some sort there was a point where this was a very controversial thing to do right um, right so the fact that it's been able to make its way to the you know, mainstream, big screen a couple times is, is pretty impressive. Ladies and gentlemen, what did we think of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves? Caleb Haldane, our special guest for this week, what did you think? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I think they finally figured out a formula that they could reproduce. Uh, before, there was like this idea that the movie had to be always nodding to the game. And the nods had to be like the dice and mm. the character classes and things like that. And I think it was much smarter for them to pivot completely. And the source material wasn't D&D &D for this. It was a, a group of books based off of D&D &D called Forgotten Realms. So Forgotten Realms is uh, a series of books that are written about Faerun, um, maybe even more than Faerun, but Faerun is where this took place mm -hmm. when we were watching uh, them in Neverwinter or in Baldur's Gate or on the Sword Coast. That's all part of Faerun. Faerun's a continent on this one planet where all the Forgotten Realms books take place. Uh, even when they're in, up in Icewind Dale for the prison, that's, uh, th that's part of this Forgotten Realms. And I thought that was a really great idea to, to pivot away from like thinking about the game and the dice and the classes, like make the classes like obvious without ever anybody saying rogue. You're like, don't say it. Mm -hmm. You say it and you break the illusion that this is the world they live in. You're a rogue one, <laughs> right? aren't you? <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. never, they don't do that. They don't do that. But they did that in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just like, it, it's they finally kind of understood how to tell a story and it's really, let's lean in on the books and less on the game. And I think that they did that and I think overall, uh, it, it really showed that 
they care for the for the content that they were writing about. Did you like it? Maybe number one question. Yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed it. I thought that they really wrote some media for for me, a player of this game. Yeah, Laurent Chapman, what did you think of Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves? It's so fascinating to hear all of that, knowing none of that, <laughs> and I also really enjoyed this. Yeah. Like, I really enjoyed this. Um, I was uh, really pleasantly surprised how quickly I got sucked into it. Because I'll be honest, like when the trailers came out, it's, I mean, tra- Caleb, you mentioned how how turned on you were just by how everything was, you know, uh, really nicely packaged in the trailer. And for me, I just said, that's going to be another mediocre fantasy adventure movie that's going to come very quickly and disappear very quickly. Um, you know, I was like, there's a couple of cast members in it that I was like, eh, you know, it's something I would wait to see essentially. But then seeing the kind of the glowing reception for it by audiences and critics, you know, really kind of like, in, you know, added, piqued my interest a little bit. And so going into it, um, I went into it kind of thinking that, okay, I know this is generally well liked, but am I the audience for it? And what's exciting about this is that the audience for this is very broad. You know what I mean? Like there, it can appeal to the fans of the game, can appeal to people who are, you know, familiar with everything. Um, and it also just is just a good time. You know, like the cast is really strong here. Um, Chris Pine is is allowed to be comedic, which I think he's best at. Yes. Um, Charming. You man. know, he's one of the best Chris's, I think. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Not one of <laughs> Not one oh, of the, oh, he the, is the, the best, best Chris. Chris. Come okay, on. Okay, you know. Yeah, yeah, he does comedy yeah. really well. He does charming. He can do suave. In uh, different circles, people will uh, will eat me up about that. I'm hell, glad or high, that you... hell or high water. I mean, <laughs> I, I put any, no other Chris has a performance as good <laughs> or hell or high water. None. None. Yeah. yeah. Well, Fight the... me. <laughs> right. Okay, anyway, continue. No, no you're good. Um, and then I think the chemistry between him and uh, Michelle Rodriguez, you know, I think she's a very underrated actress. She will play in any genre movie and she will ground it. She's in The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. Oh yeah, and I love it because she's basically a fantasy. It's basically a fantasy stuff at this point. Yeah, exactly. Um, She's an avatar. You know, like I mean, she's been in all these different things, and she's always, you know, she when she's on screen, it doesn't matter what wacky shit's going on around her. You believe her. You know, so I, I really liked the rapport with her. Um, I love the the cast of of characters in this. You know, um, and it it the comedy works. Like it just lands. You don't. It's not so. You don't, it's not so like, you know, the in crowd, the in the know of, you know, it's not so for the uninitiated. You don't have to understand yeah. the references to laugh at the jokes. Absolutely. Yeah. It is just funny. The, it's funny. You know, there are a lot of jokes that I, and I, there I, are. I think you can appreciate more if you know, but Absolutely. also it's not like, yeah, all the jokes don't rely yeah. on knowing stuff. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of farcical, satirical things in this that just kind of work and. Um, and I was surprised by even the action set pieces. Like normally action in these fantasy movies kind of feel kind of vanilla or kind of all hodgepodge together, you know. And I actually think the individual set pieces in this actually work. They actually thrill, you know, the the different the different big moments, you know, that that they have in it. So I, I enjoyed it just as a film on its own, you know. So um, knowing very little to nothing about it, um, enjoyed it on it in its own right. So. Awesome. So we've got two people who are thumbs up on this. I'm gonna. I'm going to agree. I think this is a great movie. I had a fun, fun time watching this movie. It felt like a. Th- okay. Despite I know we're not talking about the the 2000 movie, but this felt like a throwback to me. And I think it's 
it's because it felt like a throwback to the old action-adventure comedies. Think like The Mummy, for example. There was a lot of things in the 90s. You get these action-comedy bits. Uh, the Mummy uh, or maybe like Rush Hour. Like there's all these different action comedies. This yeah. one just happens to be set in a fantasy world where it relies a lot on the on the charm of the cast. The action set pieces are there they're impressive visually for, as a spectacle piece, but oftentimes they're actually a punchline. There's a punchline at the end yeah, of them. Yeah, there's a you know? bit of humor for and sure. And I just, it's one of those things where maybe, and I, Lauren, you and I, have, I feel like people who love like superhero movies are probably tired of hearing us complain about it, but <laughs> I think we've gotten so used to being served a certain kind of mainstream blockbuster for so long. This just feels refreshing, even though I feel like it's relying on a lot of things that had been done probably 20 or so years ago in blockbusters like this. Yeah. Um, but I, I had a really good time. Like you said, I love the cast. Chris Pines. Great. Michelle Rodriguez, uh, justice Smith, Hugh Grant, man, yeah. I am loving this like yeah. late stage Hugh Grant where he's, he's leaning into being <laughs> yeah. this smarmy douchebag in every yeah. movie. He's he used in. to be the charming guy <laughs> in, in every movie. And now he's like playing the curmudgeon and everything. Yeah. yeah but like he's still, he's still got the suave. Sure. Always. Sure. He's using it for evil means versus the kind of like good old boy mm -hmm. type of thing. I, I just, I love to see it. I won't spoil it. There's a couple cameos in here that I thought were a lot of fun that I had. I was not expecting. And uh, overall, I would say the visual effects were more impressive than they weren't. There were a few times when I kind of, I saw it a little more than I wanted, but in general, I thought the visual effects, especially for a movie budgeted at 150, which is expensive, but it's not 250, like a Marvel movie, for example, it looks a lot better than most Marvel movies. It's like, ambitious, it too. Is. Like, it, it is not spending that 150 uh, cheaply, like, it, like or or frivolously, I should mm -hmm. say. It, it really uh, surprised me with how ambitious they really went for, for this movie. There's lots of scenes that are likely a hundred percent CG. Oh yeah. And, yeah. uh, they live in this moments for, for quite a while, you know? Yes. There are some that are definitely a hundred percent CG, but also there's a lot of this stuff that they, it actually, at least it looks like they went to a real place and shot a, a movie with, and they added visual effects later. Yeah. Whereas again, I know like going and coming off of Ant-Man, it's like, wow, they literally, or, or a lot of the Star Wars stuff we've seen lately, it's literally just, oh, we're in front, we're in the volume. We're in yeah. front of these giant LED screens. And right. even though it's better than green screen, you can still super tell that's what yeah. you're doing. And it makes it look cheap versus this, where I really believe they are in this fantasy world. Like I, I it was so yeah. good that I was, mes I, I was like swooped in and immersed in the it. The production value strong. And also yeah. there's, and, and they pair the, the strong production value with also like anytime there's CGI that's cartoony in any type of way, there's kind of a very specific intent for it. Right. You know, it's like if, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but like a dragon and certain things like things like that, that come out and like, there's a, there's a pun here or a joke here or a something, something, there's a very specific reason why this thing looks the way that it does. you know what I mean? Like, so, um, and maybe because of the realm that we're in, we're more forgiving too of those things. Cause it feels like it's part of this universe that they've established. Caleb, I want to turn it to here. You and I have both, as we've articulated, already played the games. Yeah. How well do you think this game, this movie articulated and captured the essence from a Dungeons and Dragons campaign? Uh, yeah, like there, a lot of the tropes uh, are are hit. Um, there, there's, and they make a they make a tongue in cheek joke out of a lot of them too. My like, one that stands out the most to me is like magic can't solve everything. You know, like that that's 
it's a weird thing when you need to put a rule system on magic because magic is so intangible. Why can't it do everything? Well, so the book goes very detailed in what it can and cannot do, but then it's just got this weird in universe, like can do everything, but nothing, but not everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And they, they tackle that, even that specific joke. And then they also in tongue in cheek, the very next thing can be solved with magic. Mm. It, it, it is a funny, like that, that discussion happens at almost every table and it's funny to put it in the movie as a discussion, you know, mm -hmm. like it wasn't even just like something to be witnessed or, or, you know, seen as they, they actually have it as a discussion, which is funny. It's funny because it reminds me a lot of those talks. Uh, again, so listeners who have not played the game Dungeons and Dragons, there's one person who is the dungeon master. They've likely written the story for this campaign and they're the ones who set up all the fights and are kind of the sort of narrator guiding you yeah. along. However, the players can do things yeah. that the DM does not expect and thus randomness ensues. And sometimes the game goes in a wildly different direction than the dungeon master is anticipating right. and thus they have to rewrite their story. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I felt like that was one of those, like I, 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 in college, I did this all the time. You always have that one friend who's like trying so hard to push the rules as far as they can go or find a loophole. Yeah. And I felt like it did that a couple times in the movie. They're like, well, we can't do that, but you could do this. Yeah. <laughs> can we do this? I don't know. Let's try it. You know? Yeah. I, I agree. I think those things are definitely nods to that exact type of uh, discussion that ends up happening at the tables, you know? And so when those things happen and there's all these plans within plans within plans, uh, and some of how like they work out in tandem, it felt very much like a good DM making their plans mesh together. I can't, I, I don't want to spoil it, but there is definitely a joke in the movie where you spend a lot of time for them doing something only for them to later discover, oh, we didn't even need to do that thing. <laughs> and you're like, we did it in any other movie. I'd be like, I can't believe they did that. Yeah. Yeah. But because this is a Dungeons and Dragons movie, right. it, fits. it totally works. Yeah. And it were and for the uninitiated, it's a punchline to a joke. You're yeah. like, wait, yeah. we did all this for what? <laughs> Nothing? It, it plays yeah. into the tongue in cheek. Right. Of it, right. For sure. and, and it is also like, I just think a key part of what makes Dungeons and Dragons super fun. Yeah. So for me, the two key things, in my recollection, I actually haven't played Dungeons and Dragons proper in quite a while. Need to remedy that probably. But the two things that always stuck out to me are the camaraderie, which I actually think this cast has a really great chemistry and you really believe that they're all leaning on each yeah. other. There are the unlikely band of misfits sort of thing, which I know it's a trope, but yeah. they, the, the actors do a really great job selling it in the relationships they have. Another thing is just the randomness of all of it. A lot of the best jokes I think come from, you're like, oh, something weird happens. It's like, oh, that person... It didn't roll very well, they, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> like they got a bad roll and this awful thing happened for no reason, you know, or they rolled really good. And it's like, there's no way they should have been able to do that. Yeah. But they had a nat 20, you right. know, or a natural yeah. 20 is what they call. <laughs> and when you're playing the game that you ask, I'm going to do this thing and you get the best outcome yeah. for that type of thing. So I thought this movie captured both of those things really well. I, I thought also that. In Dungeons and Dragons, it's very common to have this disparate party where you've got different classes, different races, and they're coming together. And they f made, made that party feel very organic. It didn't feel very, like, if it, it didn't feel super forced and just weird. And so I thought that they probably, behind the scenes, spent a lot of time thinking, like, how do we make that part feel natural? Because it, I, I, thought, I thought they really kind of worked for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so great to see, because you would think on, on paper, it's like there's no way you can adapt the feeling of Dungeons and Dragons. Like, right. how, how do you even adapt a feeling? Because right. yeah. everyone has different 
yeah. feelings and associations and memories with the games. But I thought, at least for my money, with the things I've always enjoyed the most, they adapted very well. And it sounds like Caleb's the same for you as yeah. well. Well, and, and the camp camaraderie is important. And that's something you mentioned. You know, that's that's what comes across through and through. And I think that that's really the heart and soul of the entire affair, you know, um, why people commune and do these things together, you know, and so. And so, like, camp, like, listeners, for context, sometimes campaigns and storylines can go on for years. Mm. It's all about how long you decide to make it. So, like, it really is, you have, you set an appointment for three or four hours on this night of the week or yeah. however many times we're all meeting to do this thing, playing these characters, yeah. you know, and so you really are spending a lot of time with your friends, yeah. your, 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 people who are also playing in the game. Yeah. Yeah. It encapsulates that feeling pretty mm-hmm. well. Laurent, I mean, having not yeah. played the game, did you pick up on a lot of this when you were watching the movie? I don't, you know, I mean, I, the, the thing is like, I get the, I get the appeal of like, of, of getting together with your friends and going on an adventure and, um, and, and, the, the the rules, like you said, kind of sometimes contradicting each other. But the point is you're having a good time and it's challenging and you go on a journey together. And so I think it encapsulated that really well. Again, I love the satirical kind of tongue-in-cheekness of it all because it, 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 it immediately, like, makes me not take it too seriously and the film itself doesn't take itself too seriously. There are certainly um, some character stakes involved here, but mm-hmm. – um, but each character feels distinct and dynamic enough and, um, you know, what all of them bring to the table, you know, what all of them, you know, what they contribute to the, the core group. Um, and so it, it's just a fun, fun to be around these people for a while. And they make it kind of reminds you of what it's like to be around your friends, you know, like, and they all bring something different to the table. Some of them are, are a little too chatty. Some of them are a little too whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and so, you know, but they all have something that you value in each one of them. And, you know, and so I feel like um, these people represent, you know, that camaraderie and that friendship that you have, um, you know, doing something that's just fun, you know? And so, um, that built into this fantasy universe just kind of really, it just works. It works. It works on a very broad scale. That's what surprises me because I truly believed after seeing this that I, I wouldn't enjoy it because it would be too much for the initiated, you know, that it would definitely appeal to people who play the game, but that people who didn't probably wouldn't, wouldn't get anything from it. But that, that just, I couldn't be more wrong about that. So, Yeah. I think uh, that's well said. I can't wait to rewatch this movie. Yeah, like, like that's yeah. that's great because I I, just, I, I don't really rewatch movies very often unless they're called John Wick Chapter Four, apparently. But uh, <laughs> you know, like it's it's one of those like I I've been telling everyone to go see this movie. Yeah. Um. Well, before we move on, just really quickly, and we can't spoil it, so this is sort of you know we got to walk a fine line here. But do we have a favorite gag we want to maybe allude to from the movie? Uh, come back to me. LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> the reveal of a particular dragon is fun um, because it's one of those things, one of those tropes, those things that just has to be in this story, you know, because of the nature of it and what it is. And it's just not what you think it would be. And I can understand that maybe that's for me because I understand from some people that it is in the game. That is a thing. I didn't know that. So as for, for me being uninitiated and seeing that was just, hilarious you know like so and that scene still has like you know thrilling like action stakes or what have you but um but there's a lot of charm and humor to it and silliness to it too so yeah i loved the reveal of the dragon Mm -hmm. so that's a good pick caleb uh for me it's it's the wild magic uh the use of wild magic actually it's a really weird mechanic in the game Mm -hmm. and 
it's a weirder thing to try to explain. And yet I thought they did it pretty well with the sorcerer. He is clearly a wild magic sorcerer. And that is like, (laughs) it, it, it makes things very unpredictable in your game, right? Because you try to do one thing and then something else ends up happening. Mm-hmm. And yet they really kind of nailed that. I yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I thought so too. And, that, and that's a long running gag too. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's, it's not, not just a like short a one, gag. That, yeah. That's why I had you go on. Cause like, is, is there a spoiler here? And I'm like, oh, I think I can word this in a way that's not spoilery. So I'm going to pick two. The first one, I'm just going to say, you get to see what happens when you fail at rolling a projection. <laughs> I, I laughed quite a bit. <laughs> Bring out your dead. Yeah. yeah. Bring out your dead. There you go. I, they, they really milked it, but yeah. also it worked really. I, 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 hook, line, sinker yes. for me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What letter grade would you give Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons on and among thieves? Talk about randomness. Laurent Chapman. You know, I'm going to go with an A minus on this as well. You know, like this just, it just was really enjoyable. And, you know, and I, like, it, I, I always judge that based on like, when I rewatch this, like, I feel like anytime this was on, I'd watch it. And I immediately thought, I could play with, I would like to see these characters again, you know, two or three more times in a, in a franchise of this. So if I can say that about a first entry to, um, you know, something that, again, I didn't play or wasn't involved with, then that says something really strongly about how they've how they've encapsulated this. Like a lot of people put a lot of affection and care into this and, um, and were able to encapsulate a feeling more than the specificity of how to do this particular game. You know what I mean? So, um, and maybe that's there as well, but it, 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 it has a very broad appeal. So I'll go with A minus. Caleb Haldane, what letter grade would you give Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves? I, I really like it. So a B plus for me is not, it's not dissing it. I still think that's a really like great grade. I, I'm, I'm happy with the the movie at that. I, I was expecting way less. Uh, you know, I, I honestly saw the trailers and didn't expect a whole lot. I, I kind of felt like, okay, these, uh, d- when you had said it's, this is going to be another fantasy movie that comes and goes, I felt exactly that way. And so what the trailers did not make me feel any different. So when I saw this and I feel the B plus, I, yeah. that's a really great grade, I think. So yeah. Yeah. And we didn't have any examples leading up to it. Cause you said it's been, it, there've been different, um, stabs at this, you yeah. know, throughout time, and none of them were successful. So right. we had no reason, we had nothing to go off of as being successful to think that this would be the diff- the change of that. You know, so. well, and I think when you bring that up, it made me think in my letterbox review for this. I said, you know, if you're comparing this to other fantasy, you have Lord of the Rings, which is like classical yeah. music, yeah, and you've got Game of Thrones that's sort of like punk rock. <laughs> this is like jazz with a whole lot of silliness in it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, 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 yes, it's fantasy, but it's such a radically different thing than what people are used to seeing on fantasy in the big screen. For sure. And I think that's a, a huge feature, not a bug. And yeah. uh, I, it's, it's why I'm also going to give it a B plus uh, again. I, I think the B plus is really good. Like, yeah. like I, this is a four, I gave it four stars on letterboxd. I might even on repeat watching, don't want to get my hopes up. Might even go up to a four and a half because I just think it's super rewatchable. I love the cast. Laurent, like you said, I would watch at least two more of these. Two more of these. Yeah. And like, yeah. and like, Assuming like, they're gladly. of the same caliber. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, you know. right, right, yeah. So, I mean, I would love to see more of these characters, more of this world. And uh, again, if they are if they can just do more of this and like lean into it even more, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all there for it. And yeah. I, I really, really had a great time. Uh, like I said, if I can find time for it, I will absolutely catch it again. But we'll certainly be rewatching it once it hits uh, home video. I will say I totally failed my con save at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs>
I will say one thing is I did. There was a point. I, how do I sit talk about this without spoiling it? <laughs> there was a point in the movie where I thought, oh, this is the end of the movie. A bunch of your characters are in one place doing yeah. a thing. And you're like, I was like, oh, th- this is the joke. They're just going to leave things in a mess. Yeah. But it would have been kind of hilarious had yeah. they done that. <laughs> well, what other movies, television shows, novels, music, video games, what else would you recommend to listeners who enjoy Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, LaRon Chapman? You know, this reminded me a lot of uh, The Princess Bride. Um, that came to mind, um, that tonality at least, you know. Um the kind of again, the tongue and cheekness. It's a gen. It's genuinely a fantasy film, but there's also this element of satire that just kind of it makes it its own thing. You know, and it adds a different sheen to it. You know, um, so I'd say that, and then I got I get a little Monty Python vibes too. You know, so I would say yeah, rewatch the classic. Um, you know, Princess Bride, and then Monty, and you know, one of the Monty Pythons. Yeah. Okay. All right, Monty Python, and the Holy Grail. Holy Grail. Caleb Haldane. Yeah, I, I love those, and I'm going to go completely different direction okay. than you. And mm-hmm. I'm going to say Snatch. I actually ah, think movie. that Guy this Ritchie. reads like a heist movie. Yes, it does. Uh, it reads like an ensemble movie. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, you know, uh, maybe a m- more adult telling of that would be Snatch. Like, it's both they're both in on the comedy, they're both mm-hmm. in on the heist and the ensembleness of it, but done in very different ways. Obviously, one is not fantasy at all, but I, I would like to see that style of storytelling done in a D&D movie where you're always cutting to different party members mm-hmm. and and like catching their perspective yeah. instead of always having the singular perspective of Chris Pine in this case, you know? Sure. I think that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. And and that would also kind of uh hint at the sort of aspect of the game, which is always fun in Dungeons and Dragons because there's the air quotes in game yeah. when you know, you're, you, your char- you know things as the player, your characters don't, but right, you have to yeah. play the character right. as if they don't know things. So sometimes, like, you're like, you, that would play the in-character thing exactly. where it's like, oh, these characters only saw this thing. Right. Meanwhile, yeah. these other characters saw these this things. Thing. But then, as the audience, you we see everything. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's a, that's Very a clever one. aesthetically, yeah. <laughs> like, if they could pull that off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's- Multi-perspective. It's, it's a bit of a tangent, but I, I think I think I could, I think it- it, it tracks. I'm just going to say, if we're talking about Michelle Rodriguez in an ensemble heist movie, not that it needs any recommending, but I mean, Fast and Furious guy. I mean, more specifically, <laughs> she's technically not in Fast Five, the best entry of the series. So I guess I can't recommend that. So you go with six in which she is in, yeah. even though five is a superior movie. But those are, there's a lot of overlap. That one being car Five through movies. nine, skip eight. That's how I feel. Yeah, 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 yes, always. Five through nine, skip, skip eight. eight. Skip eight. It doesn't exist. Yes. There's one, there's five through nine, skip eight. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you watch the the baby in the airplane sequence on YouTube for me. That, that, that's all you need, though. That's true. That's, that's all you true. need. I'm also going to say, I've already mentioned some of the other adventure movies in my review, The Mummy, Rush Hour, Stardust, a very underrated oh, yeah. from director yeah. Matthew Vaughn. That's a fantasy. Like that. uh, it's not, there's, there is an ensemble, but I wouldn't say that the camaraderie is not quite there. There's very clearly a main character that it's yeah. their kind of hero's journey, yeah. but you do have a really strong supporting cast in mm-hmm. that, including Robert De Niro, who plays a cross-dressing pirate, which is yeah. always a lot of fun. Um, Almost no one's seen that movie. I, I, so any chance I can say, go watch Stardust. It's just a sweet, fun, whimsical yeah. fantasy. And anyone I know who has seen it loves it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's definitely an underrated yeah. fantasy gem for sure. And if you want to go all the way back to the nostalgia, I, things that when I think of fantasy from the era of that 2000 movie, 
I think of technically from the '90s, the Page Master, the oh animated God. movie oh, yeah. that was there to Macaulay sell literacy. Culkin. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't know if that movie's any good. I haven't watched it in at least 20 <laughs> years. But you know what? I watched it during the pandemic, Did and you? for me, it still holds up. Nice. It's like too event. short, though. I will say that. Oh, okay. It's like 73 minutes. Oh, gosh. Really? So wow. it's, You'd be surprised. It's like an hour and 13 minutes. Sure, so like, it's really movie. not a long movie. But it's still... the the uh, Maybe it was nostalgia, but I still got a, a kick from it, rewatching it. I loved that movie growing up. I checked it out from the library all the time. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, there you have it. Those are our reviews of Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. We all say go check it out as soon as you can. Let's move on to the second film we're reviewing today, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Not to be confused with the Mario Brothers movie. Just like you. Do you think I know every human being with a mustache wearing an identical outfit with a hat with the letter of his first name on it? <laughs> because I don't. Bowser is coming. Together, we are going to stop that monster. How? Look at us. We're adorable. According to IMDb, the Super Mario Brothers movie is described as the story of the Super Mario Brothers on their journey through Mushroom Kingdom. That is pretty accurate, actually. <laughs> okay. I would say yep. that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so a few fun facts about Mario at large, but also related to this movie. Super Mario as a character was actually introduced as Jumpman over 40 years ago in 1981's Donkey Kong Arcade Machine. The character was later popularized as Mar the character known as Mario in 1985's Super Mario Brothers, and that was the game that everyone probably remembers as being packed in with the Nintendo Entertainment System. You missed the Mario Brothers. Was a game in between... Oh, is it Donkey the, Kong? Yeah, that was Super an arcade Mario. machine, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's the second where it's where, and you've probably played this one. It's like where you have Mario and Luigi running, like there. There's like crabs that come out of tubes. Yeah, and Koopas, and you got to hit them from underneath and then kick them for a coin. I did forget yeah. that is where he proper. That is where the Mario Brothers. That's where came he from. That's yeah. exactly yeah. That's where Luigi comes from, and that's where Jumpman changes into Mario. Did mm -hmm. you notice Jumpman is in? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we, yeah. Can't miss. I mean, can't miss him, right? <laughs> like, great call out. Thank you for that correction. This is why I've got you here. <laughs> this is also the second time Mario has made an appearance on the big screen. The first time being 1993's Super Mario Brothers, notably considered one of the worst films ever made. Certainly one of the worst video game adaptations ever made. <laughs> and unlike the first film from 1993, this adaptation was co-produced by Nintendo with the character's creator, Shigeru Miyamoto, and he was directly involved as a producer. It is literally, the movie opens mm -hmm. with a Shigeru Miyamoto mm -hmm. production. He also served as one of the film's main creative influences. Now, 
I'm gonna pause here and just say, I'm a huge fan of Mario and Nintendo. I mean, you guys both know this. Any of you guys have been to my house, I literally have a master sword hanging on my wall that I'm looking <laughs> at right now. I've got a, a ton of these little figures called Amiibos that are all Nintendo themed in my, my, in my office. I love Nintendo stuff. I wanna reiterate that I think Shigeru Miyamoto might be one of the most brilliant creatives alive right now. I mean, he, Mario, Zelda, he's popularized so many different video games, Pikmin. I mean, this guy has literally just like ideas falling out of his ears. Yeah. Not only that, he's been able to scale the success from 2D to 3D. So I'm talking about going from the Nintendo, Super Nintendo, where it was all 8-bit, you know, 2D animation to 3D animation where you get Super Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, which are fundamentally different types of games. Yeah. He had his hand in that. And most recently, they have opened the Super Nintendo theme park in Japan and, and actually very recently here in the U.S. and California. So I have a lot of reverence to this specific individual, like as much reverence as I would have on the movie side to Steven Spielberg like that. Yeah. He's of that. For, in my mind, he's of that level yeah. for video games. Right. Yeah. Um, the film was also made uh, by the studio Illumination. For those of you who might maybe don't recognize the name, that this is the studio behind Despicable Me, The Secret Life of Pets, and Sing franchises. As of this recording, the Super Mario Brothers movie holds a 54% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 96% from fans with over 2,500 verified votes. With that said, Caleb Haldane, I'll start with you. What did you what is your relationship with the video game franchise? As a kid, I, I grew up on these. I, I was playing the arcade Mario Brothers game before I had an NES. And then when I got an NES, of course, my first game was Super Mario Brothers. I loved Super Mario 2, uh, Super Mario 3. Like, these are classics, you know. Um, I don't know that I've kept up with it. So the modern games, like, I don't, I haven't played Odyssey. I uh, haven't played Galaxy or Sunshine. So those are the ones I, I have not played. I think I've played everything else in the major canon uh, of Super Mario. Okay, so you, tons of familiarity with the classics, yeah. less so with the more recent, yeah, say, less 20 so, years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. LeBron Chapman, how about you? What is your relationship with the video game franchise? You know, I played it on Nintendo as a kid, um, for sure. Um, I vividly remember playing Super Mario Kart, you know, with cousins, you know, like, and, you know, and I think I've sacrificed a couple of years of my life to that, to that, to just doing that. Cause it was just so addictive, you know, um, there's for me, like in those games, like for, I mean, in at least the ones I played, there's, there's not much of a story. It's, it's, it's just, it's very interactive. It's, it's just, you know, it's it, in a way it, it's challenging in a way that like, uh, say like Tetris is, you know, and, and you just kind of put something together. You know, there's a, there's a, a very, like very clear objective, just do this one thing. Yeah, you get to get all the way to the right side of the screen. Exactly. And just perfect to that one thing. And, you know, and then for whatever reason, you can do that for, you know, you know, for a long time. Um, so that's, I would say, um, generally my understanding of it. Um, I understand their general characteristics, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of been my experience with Mario. Okay. So, you know, I think uh, you, all of us have uh, experience, especially with the classics. Uh, for myself, I will say, I've already expressed to you that I love Nintendo. One of my earliest core memories of my life is playing Super Mario Brothers 3. I'm pretty confident it's the first game I ever beat. And, you know, when you're like, I think I was probably like six when I beat it. And it felt like I had just like climbed Mount Everest, you yeah. know. 
Um, and I have kept up with all the games. I've, I've, I've played all the mainline games um, from the NES with Super Mario 1, 2, 3, Super Mario World. Even played like the Yoshi's Island games, which are technically Super Mario World 2, I think. Uh, Super Mario 64 on the GameCube was Super Mario Sunshine. On the, the Wii, it was Mario Galaxy 1 and 2. Um, on the Wii U, it was um, Super Mario 3D World, which was also later ported to the Switch. And then most recently, uh, Super Mario Odyssey. And I knew Super Mario was in there too. Oh, well, oh, and that's the other thing. Then there's the sub series, which is the, <laughs> so in the DS GameCube slash Wii era, somewhere in there, they, they created a separate track of games. Uh, there's the kind of new games that are always sort of showcasing the technology of the new console. They're more focused on the 3d exploration, kind of interacting in a 3d space. Well, they said, Hey, what if we did the air quotes new Super Mario Brothers where they then remade, they kind of like adapted the old classic style or, you know, run from the left side to the right side with more modern 3D graphics. Yeah. And there's been several of those. That's uh, where the cat suit comes from, right? Cat suit is Super Mario 3D World, which okay. is the Wii U game, which is kind of a weird hybrid. It's also in new Super Mario Brothers. So it's, I didn't know. It's not, it's not new it's Super not? Mario Brothers. See, it gets confusing. It's Super Mario 3D World that they. Right. Uh, but there's, I call new Super Mario's the other, the other canon uh, side scroller. Isn't the cat suit in that one too? No. Well, the cat suit might appear in one of those, but its first okay. appearance was Super Mario 3D gotcha. World on the Wii U, which gotcha. is kind of like you closer to Galaxy where you interact, you have like, little levels you would yeah. play and you interact in a 3D space. Um, that said, I would, I bet the cat has probably appeared in one of the new air quotes. It's very confusing. Nintendo is very bad <laughs> at bra- uh, branding, by the way. <laughs> Especially this. That is what franchise. I'm gathering. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's the Wii and the Wii U and people, they literally had to send out a message to every, yeah. yeah anyway. So, I love me some Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I still love me some Super Mario Brothers. Listeners can't see I've got a Super Mario Odyssey cap I got when I went to E3 2017 because they were demoing the game there. on it. Yes, it's an amazing game. All that said, what did we think of the Super Mario Brothers movie? LaRon Chapman, I'll start with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm unfortunately very mid on this one. Um... I think all the things that worked really, really, really well for uh, D&D, you know, are kind of lacking on this IP. You know, it feels like um, this is definitely a nostalgic trip that um, works as both a pro and a con, you know, um, to the success of this being broadly appealing to people. So I don't think that, um, for me, having some, some semblance of remembering what it was like to play this game and who these characters were, um, in the world that they've created, um, that definitely appealed to me. There's some nostalgic appeal for me, but that is the only thing that kept me, you know, um, invested in this. And so I think that if I was recommending this to somebody else who say didn't play the game, I don't know that they would have the same affection for it, you know, that hardcore gamers that love this game would, you know, so I think this is definitely one for the fans and not just for, general audience if that makes sense so unlike D, which we think did a really great job yeah. of making it accessible to new people this is like this is very insular in terms of like yes if you don't get these references then you're not going to get why they're freaking out about this mushroom or this thing you know like you know so um for for sure it's definitely like you had to play the game for these things to you know appeal to you in that way mm-hmm. all right so laron's mid k 
Caleb Haldane, what do you think of this movie? I'm also mid, yeah. Um, I will say this, though. If this was the movie I got as a kid for Super Mario Brothers, it would have blown my mind and yeah. I would have... It would have been the best movie I, I thought ever until Jurassic Park. Like there would there would have been no movie to knock this movie off of its platform or off of its pedestal. That being said, uh, I'm a little bit removed from that now, and it's it, it's not still that IP that is just draws me in the same way. And because of that, yeah, I, I feel I feel very very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. So I find myself at kind of a weird intersection on this. And here's the reason I mentioned those Rotten Tomato scores here earlier. Um, I've been doing film criticism for over a decade, you know, self-starter. So I, I'm not like uh, I didn't go to a film school to get education. I just read a lot. Of, I just read a ton of reviews and a lot of books from film critics and have tried to sharpen my skills that way. But, you know, so self-made film critic, sure. Right. But I've been in the film critic space for a long time. I've also been a lifelong gamer and been very plugged in. With games media, like I still have a lot of YouTubers I follow who who started as games journalists like 10 or 15 years ago. I'm really plugged into what that world is thinking about games. So I go to I have a lot of film critics I go to for film opinions. If I'm looking for like somewhere to like sharpen my my thoughts or kind of bounce some ideas off of when I'm reading uh, a review or, or listen to a podcast from someone. And then I have that same thing for the games people. And what's been really interesting for me is it's like night and day. The film people think this movie is very bad. <laughs> the games people think this thing is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it, it, there's not been a ton of middle ground. I'm not saying that's universal. I've heard some of the games people I've said have said, well, I wish it was better. Yeah. But they haven't yeah. been like, this is trap. No one has said, of the people I follow in the game space, no one has been like, this is just outright trash. Yeah. Here's where I fall on it. As a fan, this movie put a big dumb grin on my face. Sure. As a movie, this is a bad movie. <laughs> this is a lazy movie. Um, and now, and I want to be very clear that if this movie brings you joy and happiness and excitement, yeah. Yeah. I do not in any way ever want to take that away from you. It brought me joy and excitement. I had fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was that part of me that's still that kid who's always wanted a Mario Brothers movie. And I love knowing that I was in on the thing that they're showing. Right. You know, yeah. but that's... But that's that's really where it stops, though. Yeah, there, there's not the, there's barely a story here. Yeah. Um, Mario, like there, almost none of these characters have any real characterization. Like yeah. they're all. What is Mario's arc in this movie? I'm dead serious. Like, yeah. What is Peach's arc in this movie? What like there's no yeah. these characters don't have arcs arcs and it, and here's the thing. They're the same way in the games, but you don't. The thing about Mario games is you don't play the games for Mario games sure. specifically for story. They're literally there as yeah. a, an exercise. It's just like they Nintendo plays with game mechanics. They innovate. They they find new ways that their whole the whole thing is we want to put a smile on your face through gameplay. But they also set up an arc. They set up like he's a failed businessman. Exactly. They sure. don't ever follow that arc up. No, it's no. just introduced and then <laughs> yeah, forgotten. Well, no, no, it's not forgotten. But then they deliver a moment at the end where you're like. Yeah. But he's not a businessman now. No. He's just, he's a hero, sure. But like that wasn't his arc. His arc was a failed businessman. Right. Yeah. You know, and they just abandoned that for, oh, but now he's a hero. So yeah. that probably doesn't bother him that anymore. That corrects this. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. His okay. dad, his dad was disappointed with him. And yeah. now you don't really get a lot of closure on that either. You know, so, so I'm just saying, you know, if the things I'm looking for in movies, this movie has almost none of it. Like yeah. it doesn't have great character writing. It doesn't. And even the jokes. Outside of the 
the uh, references, and there are loads of them. There, there are references everywhere. Yeah, references yeah. for old timers who've been around, like you and I, all of us at this table. References for people who've only played a couple of the more recent games. Like it's everywhere. the uh, The score is loaded with lots of musical cues and motifs from various of the games over the last almost four decades. So, like, there's a lot there if you're a fan to be like, ah, oh, this feels right. But also, if you're if you strip all that stuff away, there's really not this Let's movie does stay. not have much to offer, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. So, if if you if you're okay with that, I say go and have a great time. I, yeah. I've been telling yeah. everyone. Everyone's like, "How was it?" I was like, "Well, <laughs> I had fun. It's kind of boring and not that interesting yeah. in terms of story, but I had fun." If you like the games or you have kids, I think you're right. I think this movie is going to be a huge hit with families. Yeah. I think it's going to be great. I will say one thing that I don't, I haven't seen a lot of getting attention that I thought they did well was when I saw the cast listing, I was, I was kind of rolled my eyes, you know, I was just like, Oh God, I'm just going to see and hear Chris Pratt. I'm just going to see and hear Jack Black. But honestly, when I was in the movie, I didn't do that. They, they must've modulated them or done something to them that they didn't come off just strictly, you know, Chris Pratt and, and Jack Black, like Charlie Day, but Charlie Day, I don't know that there's much modulation that's going to take out Charlie His Day. Voice. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, what can you it's do? It's just too much. Yeah. Well, I, I okay, so I said there was no characterization. The one character that does get, in my opinion, pretty strong characterization is Bowser, yeah. and and Jack Black is having so much fun. He gets yeah. a musical number in this movie. Yeah. He's a great. He's great. He's a great. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I will say this. Yeah, that's a good point. I did not. You know, for all the the controversy on the right. internet about Chris Pratt being bad, they they write in a joke at the beginning to explain why it's that way. Based, I mean, I'll just say he's not supposed to be Italian. That's the whole thing, right? And and I think because of that, it worked enough that I kind of bought it, right? Probably subconsciously because well, I didn't think about yeah. it after that moment. He's a he's Italian American, right? right? And so first generation, like his yeah. his parents immigrated to America and they right. and they live in Brooklyn. And so he doesn't have an accent in the movie, but there is a part where they kind of give him the accent for a commercial, and that they, they get to have their cake and eat it too with right. this, right? Like there's a nod to it. This is what he sounds like in the game, so we have to do it. But the reality is we're moving away from this accent because it's it's not okay. It's super. <laughs> Uh, I have uh, my brother-in-law who has uh, Italian roots. He says it's kind of cringy and yeah. definitely not acceptable in 2023. Right. Um, Spaghetti the So they get to do it. They get to do it and they get to walk away from it and they get to say, look, now we don't have to deal with it anymore. And, and I gone. think I think you're right, though. I, yeah. Chris Pratt was not a distraction for me in any no. way. When, like once I, I don't know if it was I don't remember consciously switching. But I just remember, I just kind of forgot that it was him doing the voice, honestly. Right. Yeah. It, I was I was really concerned it was going to be distracting. Yes. And it was not. Right. Yeah. I agree. Laurent, what was your take on the cast? Um. So I, I generally agree with you guys. I don't think he was, Um. he definitely wasn't distracting. For me, he was fine. Right. I'll just put that a very, very like nondescript, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't. Well, yeah, that's why he cast Chris Pratt. Yeah, right, he's just yeah. flat. He's just yeah. flat line. He's just, 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 you know, like oatmeal, no sugar, no brown sugar, no, no butter. You know, it's just like, it right. just feels very like, you know, I think that generally, like I said, the people that stood out to me, if I'm thinking of a cast member that I thought, you know, like again, Jack Black, I think is great in this. I think also, um, uh, oh gosh, um, Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong. These were fun things yeah. for me. You Keegan know, but, Michael Key. 
Yeah. It's great. He was unrecognizable. Yeah. Because when you think about it, all these people have pretty distinct, like right. Seth Rogen has yeah. a distinct well, voice you know what, and a know, distinct laugh. Well, you know what's funny about Seth Rogen was he said when they called him for the role, he's like, well, I'm not going to do a voice. So if I'm down if you guys are okay with Donkey Kong sounding like, like me. me. Like me. And it kind of works. works. Yeah. It kind of works. Yeah. yeah. So like that, that, that was fine for me. The Chris Pratt thing, I had to go into it with some trepidation and then left it feeling like, he didn't add anything. Right. He didn't take anything away. Well, I mean, that's how, but you know what? That's the funny thing about that is it matches the characterization, which is there's right. not a lot there, there. Yeah. 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 yeah and I, I don't mean to sure, yeah. trump it up, but like I was expecting awful. Be terrible. I was yeah. expecting, yeah, 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 yeah. And so when he, it, I was. It's serviceable. Right. When I was expecting a, a bowl of crap and you gave me this bland oatmeal, I'm like, oh, this is great. Bland <laughs> oatmeal. I'm so <laughs> happy. Yeah. I can eat this. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> I just, I just felt like generally all, everyone did fine. It felt like it was, everything about this was very safe. Now there's a couple things I want to add about this. One is despite Nintendo being a wildly innovative company with gameplay, when it comes to like brand standards, they are actually crazy conservative and protective of their properties. So I'm, I would be really interesting. And whenever also Nintendo is super secretive. So we're never going to find this out on the Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. I would really love to know the process for like just the beginning of the creative process. And like, how are we going to give Mario an arc? And the secret is they didn't give him one, right. because and it, <laughs> and it and it preserves their ability to kind of Mickey air quotes Mickey Mouse Mario, which is yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, he's an icon. He represents fun and smiles, but there's not really anything there, like character wise, to to to, to latch onto. Other than he's the, there was the one thing where they're like, Luigi says, "My brother's the nicest guy," yeah. and I was like, "That's okay. That's about it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, so. Did you guys think this captured enough about the essence of the games to be considered a successful ad adaptation? Because I know, LeRon, you said it, yeah. like it was missing. There was several kind of like air quotes. So for those of you who are not in the know on the gaming side, Mario, the Mario games are generally considered platformers. Platformers being games where you jump on top of, like a, a core part of the game is jumping on top of different things. Yeah. Um, and there's a, well, a few sequences where they played into that, I thought. The, it captures the essence, absolutely. And I think like that that's there. The world building's there. Like the the the, the, the nods are there. Like that's the thing is like, it, it does capture that. And, you know, the truth is there just simply wasn't much there to begin with from a narrative arc standpoint. And the hope, at least if you're going to adapt a, a game to a, a, a cinematic format, that you would do the work to create that, take some creative licenses, what have you. Um, and it seems like they just didn't know what to do with it. And so like, they, you know, like, so let's get the aesthetic right. Let's get the vibe right. Let's get the you know, because these games are really much more like objective based than they are character based. You right. know, so um, you can't, you go rescue the princess. That's exactly, it. which like you can have that, but um, if you're going to make a film, it's just a different medium, so it requires different a different criteria to to kind of technically be a successful thing. You know, and so I think that they kind of wrote themselves in a corner with this, where they there wasn't much to draw from, but the the goal, the the objective for them would have been to create that, you know, create well, that, okay, create so, something around it. You so, know? So, so the thing you're hitting on there, though, is I think there is a world where we got that movie that you just described, where they did a thing with it, but this movie is made by Illumination, well, who you know yeah. has built their their bread and butters, the minions, and and listen, the best thing they've brought is Sing, and that's annoying for some people, but. 
Yes, you're right. I'm just going to say, I, I don't know how much I've expressed on this podcast. I hate the Minions. I think Despicable Me, I can't <laughs> They're believe. very annoying to me. They're, they're I, not people those, love them, but I do not. I'm not, not the Minions. Uh, they, they, okay, I don't like Mim. So the thing about those Despicable Me movies plus Minions is very similar to this movie. There's not really a story. There is the most basic version of an arc and a character. I think the first Despicable Me actually does contain that. But it's really more of a series of really cutesy vignettes that are like tied together. Yeah. yeah. That's the movie. And Absolutely. this is this movie and, and Mar- the Super Mario Brothers feels exactly like yeah. that. And the characters in this, as we mentioned, you know, like they're not flesh. If you ask me, like, give me five characteristics about each one of these characters, you know, you might be able to pick one or two, you know, because they all kind are kind of wooden and kind of one thing, you know, they represent one thing. And so um that's you know, that was a challenge and they and they didn't really solve it here with the mm-hmm. movie. You know, and so yeah, I mean, this is definitely it captures the essence, and but that that only goes so far. You know, even stretched at what is it? This movie eighty two minutes. It's like ninety two. Ninety two minutes. You know, so like that still feels too long for it almost because it really it's so thin. There's not you, much. You to say do. that, but I actually kind of wish it was longer. But mm. I don't know. It was funny. Me and my fiance Lauren saw this, and our thing was. That was too short. I wanted more, but I think the more I what I wanted wasn't more like gameplay. So it was yeah. more like story yeah. or, yeah, or sure. something to kind of really get me invested. Sure. I don't know, Caleb. Did you think this movie did a good job capturing the essence or, or kind of what makes a Mario game fun? Uh yeah, yeah. Actually, I think they do. Um, there are several scenes that are set pieces that throughout the movie are just kind of action platformers. There's a part where they're running through the city that is like, feels very much like that's what's going on right there. There's even, you know, allusions to the flagpole in this, Mm -hmm. in this scene, you know, and there is scenes where uh, the allusion is more to like Mario 64, where they like really pan back and they're jumping over these mushrooms and you see the mushroom kingdom in the background. It feels like they're discovering like you do in Mario 64, Uh, you know, when they're in, different zones they're doing different things and there's always these little set pieces that are very i think distinct to making you feel like they're in the game yeah yeah no definitely i actually agree with you caleb um i I, ron's not wrong no there needs to be more for sure yeah yeah. but i did really that was the thing it did give me that rush as a guy who's played the games where you're like oh they're doing the platformer and yeah. they're using a lot of nostalgic music, like deeply nostalgic music yeah. cues for me in a way that just really gets me like fired up and excited. And there are thrilling sequences, I think. And then you also have the Mario Kart sequence, which is super duper fun. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's just a lot, a lot of those pieced together. Cause that's the thing, even characters going from one location to another barely makes sense in this movie. Like, so I, I just wish there was more to prop it up, but I did think the sequences within themselves were super duper fun, kind of connecting from A to B to C. And they all tended to flow into each other fairly well. There wasn't, there was very little downtime in this short runtime. I'll tell you this, like it it doesn't exactly, I I don't think it necessarily works all together successfully as a film, but I will say that it did make me want to play the game again. You know, so yeah. and you know what I said earlier. This is basically a giant if it's Mario a, controller. If that's what it's if that, if that is the objective, then right. they succeeded succeeded on that front. Yeah. You know, so I will say that the first act lacks for me. It it's actually I was <laughs> I sat down and realized, oh my, I have to go to the restroom. <laughs> and so I was very acutely aware of the time the entire time. Oh no. And uh at 30 minutes in, they are still in Brooklyn. Wait, yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it like, it's a, sh- that first act is shockingly slower than you think it is. 
I mean, we did get the one. There's a good. I mean, at least I thought it was funny. The gag with the dog where they're trying to be plumbers. Yeah. I, I, that one did go. Wow, well, that's kind of shock, shocking. <laughs> we have to meet Mario's family, I guess. I guess. Also, just to forget later. I'm not sure that was necessary. Uh, that's that such a deep the, cut. It's a super duper deep cut yeah. from the construction crew game. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, also, how old is Mario? Because apparently he still lives with his parents, has a full blown mustache, mustache. Yeah. but then yeah. he has like his his bedroom looks like that of like a fifteen year old. Yeah, yeah. With all that, like all that tracks, right? Like they're trying to give you this family vibe, and they're both it, Mario needs to be the avatar Mario and the child who plays same Mario time. Yeah. at the same time. So it didn't bother me that they're that they smush them together so clumsily. It, yeah, it didn't bother me per se. It's not a drawback, but yeah. it, it was clumsy. I was it like, is clumsy. You're like, what's yeah. going on here? Um, well, what do you guys think? Uh, you already mentioned Spike, Caleb. What would you say is maybe a f- your favorite nod or cameo that uh, that you would like to share? Uh, I have probably two. Um, there's a, a moment where they're deep in the bowels of Brooklyn and they break through a brick wall and the negative space that's left behind is the pixel shadow of Mario's head. Ah, that's funny. Uh, and it's just such, it was just such a small little thing that they didn't need to do that I, I just kind of was like, oh, I like that. Uh, and then the red girders in in uh, the Donkey Kong land mm-hmm. as a nod to the game Donkey Kong, I thought was pretty super pretty fun. Cute. Yeah. So yeah, Mario fights Donkey Kong, which uh, that's one of my favorite sequences. We get the DK rap for yeah. Donkey Kong's intro music, which is a terrible, <laughs> terrible rap, but I love it so dearly oh, yeah. from Donkey yeah. Kong sixty four. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a really nice touch that didn't have to be there, but being it, it being there really put a grin on my face. LeBron, how about you? I think my favorite character period was Bowser. I just think that like that musical number playing into yeah. who Jack Black is with Tenacious D, the that's just fun. That's a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Like, um, and it's not really a nod, you know, more so much as it is just a, a nod to who the actor playing it is. Um, but also, I mean, but from a gaming standpoint, what I really appreciate it was the kind of design your own custom go-kart sequence. That oh, yeah. was a lot of fun because yeah. that's what I remember doing is like putting together my cool little thing and mm-hmm. then being, being that character. And then like I, once I assembled the perfect thing, then I wanted to do that all the time. So and then that, you had some douchebag who drove up in a giant monster truck right next to you. Did you guys watch this in theater or did you have a screening? Yeah, we watched it in yeah, theaters. Yeah. So when Toad pulls up in the... The big monster truck that you were alluding to, our theater erupted. It could oh, like yeah. the laughter didn't stop for like quite a while. It it it, it was such a simple moment, but it really it really did land. And it yeah. landed in our theater for sure. I I really think kids are gonna love this movie. Yeah, I, and I'm so happy that the kids have a good Mario movie versus all of us that had a very bad confusing. It's Mario significantly movie. better than <laughs> yeah. than the other one with the live action with real actors. Yeah. I remember oh. when I I finally rented that. I think I was probably like six or seven. I was like, I finally get to see it. I get to watch the Mario movie, and you and you turn on, and you're like. What is this? Right. This isn't anything like Mario. Yeah. Did they make a Street Fighter movie as well? Oh yeah, yeah. I never yeah. saw it, but I remember. It, I know that. that Raul Julia's last mm-hmm. movie. Right? Oh wow! Yep. I sh- yeah. Should I watch it? I don't know. Uh, okay, cool. Okay, maybe not. Got like, it. Like <laughs> that's why I didn't see. Raul Julia still acts like. Oh yeah. The, the like every scene out of out of existence. Oh like, yeah. He's he is amazing. It's just literally everyone else is trash. Got so it. So I Got still, it. but I would still say watch it. I mean, if it. you're curious, yeah, I'll, I'll check I'm it curious because yeah. I played the game, yeah, so yeah, I'll yeah. watch it. So, what letter grade would we give the Super Mario Brothers movie, Laron Chapman? I'm gonna go right with like a seventy percent. So I'm gonna go with a C um, with this, um, and I think that's a pure nostalgic grab because I really do think 
while I'm saying this is mediocre and mid, it's not without its its delights and pleasures. You know, it's just that they're kind of few and far between. And it, again, it's very specific. And anytime something is so specific, I I, I worry about whether like. This is not going to be for many people, but you know that's okay. Everything doesn't have to be for everybody. Um, so I mean, I think, like you said, kids will like this, and I think fans of Mario, like hardcore fans of Mario, will like it because they'll get all of the references. I just, think, I, I genuinely think those are the two groups. They were like when when they started yeah. making the movie, like who is this for? Mario and fans and kids. Yeah. There are a lot of those because it's doing very well at the box Tra- office. Tracking at okay, so. l- listeners. By the time you're hearing this, you'll know the outcome. But as of this recording on a Friday evening, there this movie is tracking to have a five day between Wednesday to Sunday of two hundred million dollars, yeah. yeah. which is unheard of for any first film in any franchise. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Caleb Haldane, letter grade. Uh, I think I think you're right on again with C, uh, and and that is again with its caveats of like that doesn't make it a terrible movie. A yeah. C is still a very solid grade, but unlike if if the D and D movie came on my TV, I wouldn't change it off. If the Mario movie came on my t- I, TV, I, I would wait for Peaches, 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 <laughs> and then it, and then yeah, next channel. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You don't need to invest the 90 minutes again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. This is one of those where, I mean, the one thing it has going for it is it's super short, so I could definitely see myself just breezing through it if I, I, I turn it on streaming when I'm going to bed or something because it's so short. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I don't really have a ton of interest in revisiting this, even though I think it's super charming. As a Mario fan, I might, like I said, passively watch it. Mm-hmm. But fan rating would be a B in that I think it has tons of fan service for fans young and old. All those moments put big dumb grins on my face the whole time, even if I know I'm being totally hyper-targeted as the group of people. I normally criticize movies for overuse of fan service, but given that we have not had a Mario movie proper or even very many good video game movies at all, I was like, you know what? B for the fans. For the movie rating, this gets a D. Um, and, I, and honestly, I think the two things it has going for it as a movie are the visuals are actually pretty impressive, especially for an Illumination yeah. film. I actually, that's another thing about Illumination I don't like. I think most of the movies actually look pretty bad yeah, uh, considering their budget. Uh, this one I think actually looks outstanding. And I did really love the video game uh, score riffs. They incorporate a lot of classic, I mean, just all sorts of Mario music cues throughout uh, the score that plays in the movie. That said, there is some times when it weirdly turns into a generic score, which I was like, why would you do that? You have like so many things to pull from so many incredible memorable yeah. scores. But anyway, so yeah, visuals and the score are, are kind of the things where I would give like, Oh, and Jack black, Jack black is great. I think what you were saying on how they kind of played to his strengths as yeah. an actor. That's what I wanted for every single yeah. character. And so yeah. unfortunately there were just a few standouts in that sense. So. Yeah. Their right. use of color was, I thought, oh, remarkably yeah. good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked visually, it was yeah. very impressive. The diversity of environments, right. uh, the the mushroom kingdom was just like, wow. It's like right. again, if you were, I was a kid watching it, I'd feel like I was in a candy store, yeah. you know? What else would we recommend alongside the Super Mario Brothers movie? Uh Laurent Chapman, I'll start with you. I mean, like I said it, this was a this was a 90 minute trailer for the game. So I say go play the game. I mean, they're they're I feel like you're Everything you feel in this 90 minutes, you can feel for five hours at night. Which game, Leron? Oh, I'm I'm going to be terrible at this because I haven't played them in so long and I'm not good with systems. But I think it was Mario. So what was it on? Okay, so Mario Kart. Right. 
But there's different versions of that. Yeah. Eight of them, to be exact. Okay, so was it on Xbox? No. Okay, never. was it on? Always on Nintendo stuff. Was always on Nintendo. Okay, yeah, never not Nintendo. Okay, it had the big toggle, the really big toggle. N sixty four. Must have been N sixty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Mario Kart sixty four. Yeah. Mario Kart sixty four. Which, by the way, Switch owners, I know Nintendo just served us a giant commercial, and I'm about to serve you another commercial. You too can play Mario Kart sixty four if you have a Nintendo Switch online with the expansion pass right now. Nintendo, give me that check. See, it was a trailer for it. I knew it. The trailer for the game. We're we're advertising the game. <laughs> Nintendo, send me those royalty checks any day. Caleb Haldane, what else would you recommend alongside Super Mario Brothers? Movie? Uh, it's so funny because I I'm using the same hack that Ron made, but uh, I was gonna say like this scratches the same itch like watching speed runs of uh, Super Mario sixty four, like that. That is just so fun for me to watch those. And I would say so, like, watch that type of media. There's lots of media on YouTube that I think does cover Super Mario well, whether it's, it's speedruns or if it's full playthroughs or if it's just people, you know, chatting about Mario. There's also, uh, we haven't mentioned, there's the two games, the Super Mario Maker games, in which yeah. Nintendo gave gamers the tools they needed to build their own Mario game of, any, those of are, any variety. Those are super fun. Those are super good. Yeah. And there's tons of YouTube content yeah. on that too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go in a different direction, though I will note if I was going to recommend one Mario game, I would probably, man, there's so many, they're so good. Mario Odyssey on the Switch is a bona fide banger, but my favorite is still probably Super Mario Galaxy 1 and 2. Unfortunately, the only one available on the Nintendo Switch is Super Mario Galaxy, and you have to get it as part of the 3D All-Stars collection. I know that probably just made no sense to most people. But, <laughs> but Super Mario Galaxy is the one you really want to play. I just The way they innovate, they they that was the first game they introduced the a gravity mechanic in which you like they you move jump around planets and mm. like they the physics in it was really innovative when it came out in uh, 2007, and uh, I still have not found another game that uses it quite the same way. So that's my favorite Mario game. My recommendations are actually going to be other movies that I think did adapt IP really clever in a clever fashion um, and very well to make great movies. The first up, the Lego Batman movie. Bet you didn't think a Lego Batman movie could be good. Bet you thought that was going to be just for the kids. Actually, it's <laughs> Got tons of references for the adults. It's yeah. super meta. But there's a lot of heart at the core of the story. And the characters, even the ones you already know, have a very strong traits about them yeah. um, that are very memorable. Yeah, I agree. And unfortunately, I, I read uh, in prep for this, we're never going to get a sequel because apparently Universal now owns Lego. And uh, the Lego Batman movie, of course, Batman being the, uh, a Warner, Warner Brothers, Brothers property. Everything with Universal just falls to <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking uh, at you, Tom Cruise and the mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also going to give a shout out to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, reinventing the character. That movie is probably the most, the biggest innovation in uh, 3D animations since Toy Story. And I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah. And we're already seeing, there was a trailer in mm -hmm. front of, uh, for us, uh, for the new Ninja Turtles movie in front of Mario. And I was like, wow, this is really, it pops, it's a unique art style. And we would definitely not have gotten an animation style like that for Ninja Turtles had Spider-Verse not kind of paved the way for it. Absolutely, right? absolutely. And uh, I, I just think that movie's a masterpiece, and yes, I am very excited for Across the Spider-Verse. I'm going to go on a limb and say Speed Racer by the Wachowskis. Oh, also good. Actually a good adaptation of a game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so, and we, we talked well, about that. But it's not well, an anime. Yeah. Anim sorry, excuse me, sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're right, absolutely right. Thanks for that. Um, no, um, it's a great movie, though. It's a great movie, yeah. though, yeah. And I think that was, a, it, 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 that gives me an idea that they would be they would be good at a game, as you mentioned previously. Right. You know, they get, I think Wachowskis probably are gamers, and I think they get it. Yeah. yeah. Detective Pikachu from just a couple of years ago, you know, I'm not saying that movie was a masterpiece, but it did 
for me, capture a lot of what I like about Pokemon, which is you're living in a world with these creatures that are just so heightened versions of things we already know. And there's all the, there's the crazy corporate conspiracies and and there's the, yeah. like there's all these like dynamics that I enjoy about the Pokemon games that I thought made a successful adaptation to the big screen. And again, not complicated, but had a character arc that I was invested in from beginning to end. Uh, and lastly, this one specifically for the adults, not the kids, probably one of the better video game adaptations I've ever seen. Arcane on Netflix mm-hmm. is adapting the League of Legends games. I didn't even know League of Legends mm-hmm. had a mythology until I watched this series. And wouldn't you know it? Wow, it's incredible. And also really pushing the boundaries of what's possible in animation, just yeah. visually spectacular uh, Netflix series. In, in that same vein, uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners yes. was a good... Uh, Good great storytelling, yeah. Great. Uh, I haven't finished that. I got about halfway through. It's good. Yeah. And the animation is stunning. Uh, so check that out. So Cyberpunk Edge Runners, also on Netflix. All right, gentlemen, we've come to the end of our show where we have to go into a Super Smash Brothers style throwdown. It's on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> Listeners can only see one movie this weekend. Do they go to uh, a theater to see Mario power up or do they cave and watch Chris Pine roll a D20? Caleb Haldane, which one would you pick? Uh, Just because I think that Dungeons and Dragons casts a much wider net, um, I'm going to default to that one. But there's going to be some people out there that I think the Mario Brothers is going to be a bigger win for them. Uh, But like I said, the the D&D movie is casting just a much wider net. It's going to be so much easier to go ahead and uh, vouch for that movie and be pretty sure that they're going to enjoy it. Yeah, have some laughs. LeBron Chapman? I got to default to D and D for sure. Um, I think if you if you're a big fan of Mario, then you know that 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 that's for you. I just think that D and D you can take the whole family and everybody's going to get something from it. You know, so I think you're you know it's it's fail proof in that sense. Yeah, I would say you know beyond if you're if you're not a Mario fan and you're an adult, you're going to get way more out of Dungeons and Dragons. Your kids are probably going to like either one. Yeah, but. You, it, it, Mario really only works if you also love Mario. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to align with you guys. And I just think Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves is an all around better movie. It's more fun. It's more accessible. Casts a wider net. And it's just a better. They just tell a better story. I hate yeah. to say, sorry, Mario. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Shigeru Miyamoto. One of <laughs> I, one of my most. I just I, I basically worship the, the ground that man walks on. But uh, he's just, you know, storytelling and movies is not his thing, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> Stick to the games. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have time for today. Uh, let's. I want to make sure our listeners can keep up with all the things you guys are doing. You guys are both very busy, gent- um, active gentlemen. Caleb Haldane, where can people follow you online? Uh, I have been kind of uh, MIA online as of late, uh, so probably <laughs> you'll you'll be able to see Red Six come back after. Uh, after sooner con so i wouldn't i wouldn't expect too much from us until after june can't wait for sooner con though it's yeah gonna, it's gonna be great you guys is uh by the way you guys is uh social ads are killing it love, <laughs> love the new you guys had some rebranding it's super cool yeah love to see it leron chapman yeah i'm currently hunkered down on a television series shooting here uh called fairwood um in oklahoma city and so that as a production coordinator so that's that's sucking up most of my time but if you want to follow my reviews on um Online, you can follow them um, at uh, black underscore Senna underscore man on letterboxed. So, or you can follow me on social media at Leron Chapman. 
Awesome. And uh, as always, you can find me tweeting about uh, films, television, video games. If you want video games opinions, that's pretty much the only place I express those anymore. Uh, you can find that on Twitter at Seamasters Talk. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram posting miscellaneous photos or my movie reviews also on Letterboxd. All of those at Seamasters Talk. That is letter C, Masters Talk. Caleb Haldane, thanks so much for joining us. It's been way too long. I promise it won't be, you know, three years before I invite you back next time. <laughs> All right. And Leron, as always, sir, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. And listeners, thank you so much for rolling the dice with us today. We'll catch you again next time when we return for yet another double feature. That's right. In our next episode, we're going to be discussing two different horror comedies. Question mark. <laughs> Renfield and Evil Dead Rise. Catch you again next time. Thank you.